Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. I wanted to be the first to wish you, Jeff, a happy International Podcast Day. <laughs> is is that today already? I, I didn't. I didn't know. It snuck up on you. Yeah, I celebrate International Podcast Day every day. I oh, it's like a birthday for a month. Yeah, I love. There's just no time limit on International Podcast Day. It's like International Podcast Year for me. I love anything that has a hashtag that means that it's actually a thing, right? Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. International Podcast Day, number one, Mm -hmm. who claims that? Who's like, yeah, today, um, the 30th of September. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's a proclamation? International (laughs) Podcast Day. There's a whole readout. Podcast didn't even become cool until like last month, right? Podcast has never been cool. No, I, I don't, agree. Don't fool yourself. But it's on the cover of Podca- magazines no, now. It do- no, that's so what? I'm no, I Jeff. I'm not saying I believe podcasts that podcasts cool are now. not cool. <laughs> Podcasters say- are not cool because they're podcasters. I am saying that it has become a phenomenon that is uh, appropriate for magazine covers now. Now it's acceptable for people to be you like. You sound like you are giving a speech at International Podcast Day. <laughs> it's you inter- sound like you're about to like bang on the table <laughs> yeah. and be like, "Now is our time." CPM. Yeah, podcasters rise up. <laughs> I, we are bigger than borders. This I, is International Podcast Day. Well, I do have an issue with like International Podcast Day. Uh-oh, right here the, it comes. The phrasing of it. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I'm on board for this one. Why is it International no, Podcast don't. Day? Oof. It, no, it, it, the internet is worldwide. You sound like a National Podcast Day man. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Actually, the opposite. I think it's bigger than international. What is bigger than international? There is no such thing as bigger than international. Galactic? Intergalactic? It, yes, that's what we're doing. Imagine someone of, said that. That's appropriate. What is appropriate? S- making it less cool, like Intergalactic Podcast Day. You don't even watch sci-fi. What are you talking about? No, but I'm saying... Actually, we did see Ad Astra. We did see so Ad Astra. Now, but they, in that movie, spoiler alert... Yeah. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. Because this, this actually is the spoiler. Yeah, don't say it. Don't say it. Brad Pitt... <laughs> That's not nice. <laughs> that's not that's not appropriate. <laughs> not today on International Podcast Day. Can't spell podcast. How are you going to celebrate International Podcast Day? Uh, I'm going to yell at people about Mailchimp. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm actually upset that I had to find out via the internet that it was hashtag International Podcast Day. What you thought that somebody would like throw a brick through the window? No, I thought that there would be like some. I don't know. We do a podcast. We do a couple of podcasts. Mm-hmm. No one wanted to tell us. None of you podcasters out there wanted to hit us and be like, "Yo, happy International Podcast Day." Okay, so here's here's an embarrassing sort of story. I went to a party the other day. No big deal. Yeah. And one person came up to me. I thought it was somebody else. Looks exactly like somebody. Thought it was somebody else. Uh, uh, this is embarrassing so far. And he said, "Hey, how are you doing? Your podcast is doing well." Me, I thought that he had a podcast. Uh huh. He so, does not. And so I was like, "Oh yeah, like you know, you got your podcast too." And he's like, "No, I don't." And I go, "Oh, I just figured that everybody did." Uh, good recovery. Yeah. I once went to. I was like, everybody has like one or two podcasts. I went to a party and someone walked up to me and I was like, "Hey, I haven't seen you since New Year's." And he was like, "What?" And I was like, yeah, yeah, New Year's down in, in uh, Hoboken, New Jersey. We were all at that party um, at that apartment. Mm-hmm. And he was I like, was there. I, yeah, and he was like, I, I wasn't there. Mm. And I was like, quick thinking, quick thinking, quick thinking. It's really loud in here and dark in here. And I'm sorry. But here's the thing. That person 
was later on this podcast. What? Happy International Podcast Day. That is a true story. Jeff, who's on the podcast today? Today on the podcast is Shahendra Onishwar. Great pronunciation. Thank you very much. Jeff, Shahendra is one of our long, long, long-time friends, and he has long, long, long wanted to be on this podcast. Even though he won't admit it. No. Oh, he does admit it at the end of this podcast. Yeah. You should listen in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shahendra, who's been an executive at places like Giant Magazine and DrJays.com and Echo and... These are all dead companies. Well, more importantly, Rock Nation and now Columbia Records. There you go. They're thriving. Yeah. Shout out to Columbia Records. Shahendra has a fascinating story. Born in Suriname, moved to the Bronx, and then around the United States until he settled in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Shahendra has long been a music fan and worked his way into this business in any way that he could. He was working at record shops. He was taking internships in different departments. And he is one of the most creative and brilliant minds that we know in this business. It was a thrill to sit down with him and talk shop. Jeff, when do you want to get into this? Right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. Mark Echoes Complex, a.k.a. Deep Seed Edition. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Say It and Spray It, a.k.a. Takashi 6 9 <laughs> Yo, what's up? It's Sandra and I have no cool. That is not true. No, that is, yeah. I mean, my friend Dara once called me Super Nintendo, but that was terrible. And it actually came from a kid in seventh grade, and actually I never told that story. But now you told everybody. I know. Hard. Here's your third favorite podcast to waste time with It's The Real. Shahendra! I thought that whole thing was pre-recorded and then you put it in there. No, no. Every time it's live? Yeah, every time. Every time, yeah, thank good. you. Thanks for showing up on the hey, Upper man, West Side. I'm really excited to be up here. I took a helicopter, yeah, a ferry, yeah. a train was stuck. It was yeah. all good things. Listen, uh, you know, this is actually a true story. Theophilus London told us that he wanted to do the podcast, and we booked him. This is a few years ago. And he was like, cool, I'll be there very soon, but I have to take a train in from Jersey. And then he's like, I'm on a bus. And then he was like, my Uber got lost. Yeah. And, and he's like, I'm back on a local train, but I'll be there soon. I swear to you. And we had a film crew there. Well, he showed up the next day. Yeah. It was, it was it's like, extreme rapper time. Yeah. It was yeah. like very, very bad. So we appreciate you showing up. We appreciate you being here on time. Allison. Although if you talk to our friend uh, Nelly Ortiz, she would say you're very late. <laughs> she, wow. She, <laughs> wow. All right, Nelly. All right. I'm glad that I got here. After Lenny and yes. after Nelly, yeah. but before Jean Manili and Shaka. <laughs> yeah. So I'm in the, right in the middle. Yeah, yeah, My yeah. career arc is kind of like <laughs> right smack on them average. Yes. It's good. Yeah. Um, you told us the story behind the t-shirt you're wearing right now. Yeah. Which um, is a, a raucous shirt, but not the one that everyone else has. No, this is so... This is a shirt from, I guess, 2001. I interned there and I was in college and I didn't have any gear. So what would you get? I would get all raucous gear. So if you go back and look at like all my photos from college, they're literally just triple five soul t-shirts and raucous shirts that were all free. Man. And so, you know. You were the poster boy of that year. A hundred percent. Because I was like, this is what, you know, I was friends with the guys in the mail room and the mail room and the uh, uh, merch guys, they were the same people. Mm -hmm. So they were like, oh, you intern here. You need clothes. Here, go rep the brand. Wear this shirt. And I'm like, all right, cool, you know. Great, free shirts. Yeah. But then, you know, you get older and you put them in your mom's storage and then eventually you're like, oh, old things are cool again. <laughs> I will, you know. Yeah, it's a 20-year cycle. I'm right in it. But what makes this t-shirt different than all the other ones? So the production one um, would have had 
the the razor blade on the sleeve. The actual Rockus logo. The actual Rockus logo would have been on the sleeve. It's on the back of this, and the but for whatever reason, this doesn't happen. I think this is like a promo sample or something. Because again, it was like here's some sample T-shirts. Yeah. Shut up, you're an idiot. Yeah. But now it like and they weren't in my size either. By the way, it was like here's an XL T-shirt. I'm yeah. like, This is a dress, and they're like, whatever, man. <laughs> you were just shirt. swimming in it. Now yeah. it actually yeah, fits exactly, yeah. and it actually like is the style now too. I know I'm super on which trend, is, which, which, is which is wild. Yeah. Have you always been on trend? No. <laughs> no. You look back at pictures and you're just like, that was a sham? Yeah, absolutely. I had a soul patch one time. It was really cool. Yo, Damn. you should bring that back. I might try. I might do it. You should start a ska band. <laughs> no, it was rap music got me the soul patch. You know? What rap music did that to you? Um, <laughs> atmosphere. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah Slug, right. Slug still has his soul patch too. <laughs> all these years later, he's still going. I love it. Um, well, let's go back to the very, very beginning. Where are you originally from? Uh, I was born in a South American country called Suriname. Um, in the capital of Paramaribo, and I moved to the States when I was six. What precipitated that? The move? Yeah. My parents. Well, got that part. <laughs> yeah. I, know, I know you weren't like, hey, hey guys, yeah, I wasn't like, I'm going to hop on the train yeah. and <laughs> catch you guys on yeah. the other side of the Atlantic. Um, Suriname went through a military coup in 1981, and at that time, my dad was just like, yo, this is not the wave. Like, we're not, this is not does not make sense. And he was doing a lot of business. Um, he worked for a company called Bata, B-A-T-A, which is a Canadian shoe company. And they were big in the Caribbean at the time. They had offices in America. So they're like, oh, you could come to America and, you know, work out of this office or like, you know, help develop the brand over here. And he was like, okay, I'll do that. And then he came here and he's like, yeah, this, this is fine. And we moved. And so it was just you and your parents? It was me and my parents, yeah. And you showed up and moved to where? The Bronx. That's so where hip-hop Park- was born. Yeah. yeah. That's a huge change. Imagine. So I'm, I'm, um, there's like a mango tree in front of my house in Suriname. I'm like, you know, it's a tropical kid. I'm not running. I'm just running around being a kid. And then I come here in October of 1986. And imagine you come to New York, the Bronx, from a tropical country with, you know, beaches and sand and rainforests and whatnot. And you come to the Bronx. And I was like, what is this? No, I meant what is cold. I never had cold before, right? So like October in New York City, and you got to like, here's a jacket, and you're like, what the hell is a jacket? <laughs> but then it was like, oh shit, we live here and it's cold. Yeah. And you know, you get exposed to all the things. Like I have all my memories of right coming in. It's like Voltron, Transformers, Peter Jennings. Okay. Because my like they used to love watching the news and like yeah. that was the dude and I was like oh cartoons this is crazy look there's a robot and he turns into a car and he turns back and there's a lion robot it's nuts <laughs> and there's this guy <laughs> and he keeps telling me about all the things in the world so like Peter Jennings also a robot dude I love Peter Jennings man yeah. R.I.P. Peter Jennings yeah. he's yeah. great he's my last so favorite newscaster what were you doing for fun up in the Bronx going to school you know and like Suriname is a Dutch country so I spoke Dutch but no one spoke it here, so it was like, speak English, speak English, you know. I spoke English as well, but it was like, don't talk Dutch because no one's going to understand you. Now, imagine you go to the Bronx, and you're like, oh, oh, not, definitely no one is speaking Dutch back to me, right? Yeah. And then I was like, okay, cool. It's a quick learning curve, and, you know, I had family in the States already, so they were like, okay, these are the things. And So it wasn't anything where you were like, I'm coming from a different country, I have a different accent, uh, I speak a different language, so I'm not going to speak? It was like you spoke it at home, and then but then like at a certain point, it was like, well, no one really spoke it anymore. Because it's not like... There's no conversational Dutch in the rest of the world. The, yeah, yeah. Holland and and, yeah. and I guess Suriname and a couple of the islands, but that's really about it. And when did you start traveling? Like- uh, we moved around a lot. So right after that, we moved to Queens for a bit, and then we moved to Pennsylvania, and then we moved to Miami. Pennsylvania for the Dutch. For the Dutch. <laughs> for the Dutch. So Suriname, New York. 
uh, Pennsylvania, Florida, what Miami. feels like home at any of those points? Nothing really, because then after that, I moved to Minneapolis. Man. So which was like my formative years, right? Yeah. So like high school. But that's also extreme too. Absolutely. Extremely I'm, I'm cold. going from Miami, which is Miami. It's really yes. warm. And I yeah. went to sixth grade in Miami. And Miami is a weird place to go to grade school because it's just like, it's a, it's a city that people, you know, it's known for its entertainment and all the other things, but it's not really... You don't go to grade school. I don't know anybody else that went to grade school in Miami. I only went there for sixth grade. And then I moved to Minneapolis and then went there for junior high and then high school. So that's where I spent the most of my like formative growing up. Okay, learning how to drive and, you know, music and like sure. all those things happened in that, in that world. Minneapolis. Prince um, is from there. Yes. Yeah. So is Jesse Ventura. And I don't know if he's from there, but he's from Minnesota. Yeah. But also Lizzo lived up there. I mean, like Lizzo. there are people who have lived in Minneapolis. Cargo was up there yep. for, for a while. Yep. Husker Du. Dope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you're, if anybody here uh, listening to our podcast likes college radio from 1987, <laughs> yeah. that's Husker Du right there. is killing What it. age were you at when you first went to the Mall of America? 13. And I was like, this is huge. What is this? <laughs> Camp Snoopy. I was like, this is amazing. There's an amusement park in the mall. That's unreal. I never went on the rides at Camp Snoopy, or Mall of America, though. Really? It was were one you, of those things. Were I you afraid s- of uh, rides? No, I just like watched it, and I was like, this is a spectacle. Like, look at it. It's <laughs> yes. So it's so much. By its nature, it's a spectacle. It's the biggest mall in the world. Yeah, yeah. I don't so, know if it still is. Well, I, I, it was. At I think time. I think it must still be right. I, don't I feel know. like they built one in like Dubai or something. Oh, probably. Just be yeah, like, yeah. ha, we're one square foot. But like, we grew up, and in like high school, the thing to do was like, you go to the mall and you walk around. That had to be like times ten. <laughs> it was times a hundred because you go to <laughs> Times Square. You go to the mall exactly. Exactly, it's like Times Square with multiple elevators. <laughs> you would go to the Mall of America, and you only again you didn't do anything. Is that where the like movie theaters are? Every, and... Literally everything is there. Yeah. There's an amusement park in the mall. It's there's. But the, what is outside the mall? A parking lot. Many. No, no. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you mean what is there to do besides the mall? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Minneapolis is a pretty robust city in that sense. Like, there's you know, Target. There's Target. Mm-hmm. Um. The Vikings, the Twins. No, there's a, it's a, there's a sports. The North, Are we sponsored North, by the city of Minneapolis? The North Stars at the time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. So think about it. You have, you have a uh, football team, baseball team, hockey. Mm-hmm. So you have all these sports things. And with that, whenever you have sports, you always get music with it. Because when the arenas are not being used, what do you put in there? You yeah. put music. Yeah. And because it's one of those states that's like, like a Philadelphia, like it's not a top 10 city like a new york la whatever but it's right under there and so you get this huge influx of people coming in whether it's to do you know things that are in music or arts and entertainment and then also you have chicago right there you have milwaukee so you have this kind of other interesting intersection of of things so like what concerts were you going to everything so that's the thing that's interesting right like because you're living in this city that's kind of collegiate but also at the same time like there's different scenes of music and you have hip-hop you have rock you have you know dance music chicago like all these things are funneling up mm-hmm. to one place so you could go to a rock show or you know hip-hop show one day and then go to a rock show the next day and go to a rave the next day. like it, it you could go to something every day and i think that's where a lot of like my musical uh palette was constructed because i was fortunate you know i would go see like refused and Snapcase and earth crisis which were like super hardcore bands and then you would see Wu-Tang Clan the next day and Talib Kweli and Most Def. And there was no like, I, had, I was fortunate because I had a good mix of friends. No one was like, oh no, you're this guy. You, you, know, you only listen to rock and you only listen to rap. It was like, oh, you just You only like listen song. to Dutch folk music. You listen to Dutch folk music, you know? Yeah. I wish I knew some Dutch folk music. Yeah. It's not too late. Uh, so, were you into like the real Minnesota hip hop, like 
atmosphere yeah. sage francis that sort of stuff sage francis is not from from minnesota but well it just shows how little i know about <laughs> you know here's the thing man I, got, and I gotta always give these guys their props because like so atmosphere atmosphere was the local heroes right it was it was super hip-hop it was this is like 1995 96 is like they're selling mixtapes and the mixtapes were actual cassette tapes it was called mm. um headshots headshots volume one two three four five and they all had they had really cool names it was like industrial warfare and effort compensation like each one had its own name and then they had all these different guys and they'd rap on it and it was really cool right <laughs> and then atmosphere broke out with the atmosphere album um overcast and that was like a big thing because it was a local independent record it was 1997 so i'm like 16 and it was a big deal it was like oh you know these guys released a full-length album and these guys were like, you know, the thing I always thought, appreciated the most about them is like they were very approachable. So if you went to a show, they come out and they spoke to everybody after the show or they, you know, you could talk to them. They weren't like, oh, I got to leave. I'm, don't, don't speak to me. I'm a celebrity. I'm a star. Don't yeah. You know, it wasn't that. So through that, it was like, you know, they, you were able to kind of like access more. And then they opened a record store called The Fifth Element. So when they opened the record store, they have this record store and they're selling all this, you know, hip hop and then they're selling merch and then they had a turntable stand and their DJ, this guy, DJ Abilities, who was like a DMC champion two or three times, I think, he would be in there scratching. So now you go into this record store to buy anything, right? You could buy whatever release commercially was available or local independent stuff and these guys would just be in there and Slug, who's like the main dude, would just be there at the cash register. And he's just like, yeah, it's sixteen ninety five. Did it feel like your thing because it was so local? Yeah, I felt like I think it was everybody felt like that because it was like you contributed, like you could literally see you giving the money to the band was furthering these other things, right? Like you were furthering the existence of this record store, or them going on tour and like making more music. So when another album comes out, even from another group, you're like, some way, shape, or form. I had something to do that because, you know, you're helping to finance it and you're creating this really direct relationship, you know, with the artist as a fan. And then at the same time, um, you know, there was other groups that were coming out of there. So then you could go to their shows and they would put people on. OK. And then, you know, they had put on Idea, who was like this amazing battle rapper who passed away uh, some years back. Yeah. And, you know, what was cool is when he won the Blaze Battle, it was a big deal. Right. So he did the Blaze Battle. It was like 2000. And he uh, he performs and he you know he kills it and he destroys it with shells he beats shells and with battle rapping and here's this white kid from Minnesota who wins, and it was just like oh shit we know him like that's crazy on HBO yeah and again if you're 18 19 you're watching this and you're just like whoa that's nuts like, you lived for a time obviously in New York yeah. lived for a little bit in Miami bigger cities different you know hip hop scenes that yeah. are true to each city but it's so interesting because i don't know that we've spoken to to too many people who um are from a, a mid-city mm -hmm. that have um a specific like hip-hop scene yeah. there because like do you even think of like the bigger stuff or do you take that like local thing versus the commercial thing like to heart you you do at the time right because so the thing that was interesting about that city and it still is to this day to me is the scenes were, at least the ones that I was in, were hip-hop and punk. And like the punk scene is, at the time, I would say almost eclipsed the hip-hop scene, the local hip-hop scene. Because there was a house, there was a record label called Sociopath, and they had a house. And they literally had this crazy two-story house, a lot of graffiti in it, it said Sociopath House. It was a recording studio, 
and like a punk thing, whatever. It's like their version of like Motown. Kinda. <laughs> and bands would come. You know, this is the thing where like bands would come and record. Like we'd have a band. Okay, I hate you, and then we break up, and then you're not gonna start a band with him. And that's kind of what a lot of stuff ended up happening. But at the same time, it was like they all support each other. So you could go to this house where it was hardcore punk, and then there'd be some of these guys from like the Rhyme Sayers crew there. And you're like, wait, these, <laughs> and everybody dressed, you know, according to their scene, so to speak. And, but you would see like the rap guys there and you're like, oh, they're here, you know, with the punk guys and vice versa. And even at the shows, they play each other's music. So you, we're always exposed to like different types of, you know, scenes or music or whatever, <clears throat> but it all felt very organic and natural because you're like, oh. I'm going to go here to this thing and go to this other thing right afterwards. Yeah. And there's nothing that's changed. You Were you I mean? wearing Jenko jeans? No. <laughs> Were Jenko jeans wearing you? <laughs> Probably. I mean, everybody had like the wide leg jeans. I don't think I had Jenko's by name though. Mm-hmm. Everybody had the, I wore Echo. I mean, yeah, sure. They were huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You went to college. I did go to college. Where'd you go to college? I went to, so I did a year at the University of Minnesota and then I moved back to New York and I went to Hunter. Okay. And when I got to Hunter, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Back. You know, I come to New York all the time. I have family here. I'd spend like summers out here and whatnot. I came back and I was like, cool. I got to finish school. Like I got to figure this, you know, like. Well, well, but, what, ma- what made yeah. you want to leave Minnesota, the university and the state? I just, I think, you know, it was, my parents got divorced when I was like 15. And I was like, all right, this isn't really where I want to be. It is, anything I wanted to do with my career where I saw myself wasn't happening there. And again, it's not a bad city. It just wasn't like where I saw what, what I was attracted to. And I wanted to kind of get into music more. And it really became, you know, I remember, I'll never forget, I bought this record at the Rhyme Sayers store called Deep Puddle Dynamics. It's a Wow, how 1998. super yeah. Seven. Back, 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 <laughs> yeah. 1998. And, thank you. And um, as I'm paying for it, Slug is like, hey, you know, I was like, oh, it's probably the last record I'm going to buy from you at this store. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm going to go buy from somewhere else. And I was like, no, man, I'm moving to New York. And he's like, take our info. You call us when you get there. What are you going to do? And I was like, I'm going to school. And he's like, bet. Take our info and hit us up when you get there and you get situated. Like, you know, cool. And Sadiq, who's the owner of, of the Rhyme Sayers label, like he and I had gotten cool. So it was one of those things where he was always like, all right, here's what you do when you get there. Here's who you call. Look at CMJ. Like, learn some things, whatever. And I'm like, great. So I get there. The first thing they tell me is like, when you go there, go to the radio station and join the college radio station. And I was like, okay. The radio station being just I, hunters. I, I they were like any, they yeah. didn't even know where I was going. They were just like, yeah, wherever you go, <laughs> yeah. you join the radio station. They yeah. could have gone to vocational school. Right. Like, go to the vocational yeah. school radio station. So I, so I go and I literally, the first day I walk in and I'm like, hey, I'm going to join this radio station. And the guy who's the music director looks at me and he goes, what, who are you? And I was like, go to this school and he's like whatever man (laughs) and like you know you fill out your application and then like this is like super hip-hop hip-hop competitive stuff back then it was like well can you dj and i was like i actually can dj you know had my turntables and my not dj i can scratch i watched listen to dj cubert yeah 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 and he's like okay go mix so they put me on air and they're like mix now and they all watched and like i had to blend and scratch properly and if i didn't they were like yo you can't be in here what were you playing Reflection Eternal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most Def, Quali, and Mr. Man. Just all. Fortified all, Live. Yeah, from yeah. track one to yep. track, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I had a metal, metal scratch session, and they're like, oh, it, was like it wasn't painful, right? It was like a one-minute exercise. Yeah. Like, all right, you, ha- you can hear. Yeah. And then they were like, cool, you're in. I was like, all right, good. 
So I call Rhyme Sayers back a couple and get it situated. I'm like, hey, <laughs> you were right. And they're like, all right, I'm going to start sending you vinyl. So they just start sending me records like when the um when they would put out random stuff and you know give them wow what a bummer you thought that you were getting like a real like a friendship thing no, yeah it wasn't they were a like friendship. then you learn that's how you learn about yeah. this business everything's, <laughs> transa- everything's <laughs> transactional yeah no but it were cool you thought then, that they were trying to look out for you and meanwhile they're just like no we want a guy on the inside <laughs> yeah. who's just gonna play a, our records hunter for college free. radio yeah. <laughs> yeah this idiot won't even ask for payola yeah exactly <laughs> i didn't even know what that was back then <laughs> So You're then a tastemaker um, and an influencer. Yeah, and all these cool Instagram you're, terms that didn't exist yeah. before. You know? You're yeah. two minutes into your stay in New York. Two yeah. minutes into my, you know. Or what are you majoring in? Media and English. Okay. And, you know, I'd, at Hunter, I met a bunch of people that I'm still friends with today, like, you know, Timothy Cornwall, a.k.a. Tim Hotep and Thomas Harris. And all of us went to the same, you know, we kind of all were trying to figure out what was happening at the time because... You know, it's early 2000s New York, and there's a budding hip-hop scene, kind of like the shiny suit era is done. Labels are making money. Magazines magazines were like, oh, man, if you worked at a magazine, then you're crazy. What are you talking about? You work at Vibe? Yeah. That's an amazing place, right? So what's the small community that you can find that's similar to the backpack community that you left back home? The backpack community in New York. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because you would go to these... I remember going to Lyricist Lounge shows and seeing, like, Dave Chappelle being like the the you know the intro guy because most F was playing and you're like, oh most F, like do you know this guy? Like this is amazing. He has black on both sides, black star. And so you end up going towards that scene and like the punk scene that they would like the punk scene in Minnesota is people touring from <coughs> uh, uh, other cities and then playing in there. The yeah. here it was like Buffalo, Syracuse. That's where all those bands were housed anyway. So you had that in New York, but like New York had the like the biggest bands right helmet orange nine millimeter and like all of these like legendary bands come from this part of the world so you're always looking for that and even the offshoots like oh the guitarist left and he started this other band and you know this guy the bassist is now with this and like you would that was like what you would just kind of look for more and more you know what kind of venues were you going to sobs and wetlands were kind of like that's where you stayed you know um, everything was coming through there. Everybody was there. Lyricist Lounge was running things through there. And then Lyricist Lounge, Raucous, like all of those guys were doing things. So it became like this element of like, how do you get connected into that world? And what does that even mean? Because again, like no one really knew, at, the, at least not, I didn't. You didn't really know what the record label was or what any of these things were. You just were like, I know that brand. They put out good music. I want to, somehow do something with them yeah you know i know this press outlet double xl the source vibe what is going on over there you know was there a title that you were interested in was there like a specific part of the business that you saw yourself so when i was at the when i was at the hunter radio station cmj the college music journal i don't know if anybody reads that anymore (laughs) i think they're out of business oh yeah, right. They and don't do funny, CMJ like, anymore. What we really knew it for was like you they know, had their uh, once a year their festival yeah, or whatever. Yeah, you would just you know every venue in the city was a CMJ show. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so uh, you go through, and the, the job listings were in there. So I was like, okay. And randomly, I'm like, oh, there's job listings there. Cool. So there was a job posting for a public relations intern at Raucous. And I was like, I'm in. Like, so just because it was raucous. Just because it was raucous. It was like this cool brand and like they had great artists and everything about it felt very like New York premium hip hop. Like this is the real thing. But also know? it was like an entry level job and that's <laughs> what you needed. No, I was, it wasn't even an entry level job. It was an, it was internship. an internship. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's less. Yeah. You know? So, 
you know, because I was working at the radio station, I call and I'm like, hey, um, you know, I, I already work with you guys. This, you know. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, no, you don't. I'm the Midwest Connect. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I can catch you atmosphere. Yeah. Like, no, you can't. So I'm like, but then the guy was like, all right, cause this guy named Jesse, he was like, all right, cool. You know, send over your resume. I'm like, I, resume, <laughs> you know, I worked at a flower shop when I was in high school here. I can tell you about orchids, whichever yeah. they can. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, all right, come in, meet with them. He's like, cool. You got it. This is a Friday. So I start on Monday. So over the weekend, I tell my grandmother about this and she's like, oh, great. What's your, what are you going to wear? Where's your suit? And I'm like, suit? Hip hop label. We can wear a suit. <laughs> Grandmother's very West Indian. So she was like, no, no, you have to look presentable. You can't look like a bum. And I was like, cool. Agreed. So yeah. she makes me wear a suit. So I walk in on Monday, I come in and the receptionist just looks at me and she's like, what? And I was like, I'm here for my internship. And she's like, are you in the right place? And I'm like, this is 678 Broadway, fourth floor. I'm in the right place. And she's like, <laughs> All right, who are you here to see? And I tell the person, and she goes, Oh, they're no longer here. And I'm like, Hmm, now what do you do? Well, you were dressed up for a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, it was, it was a nice suit. And actually, it wasn't, it was a terrible suit. And they, the, the, his boss, this woman named Devin Roberson, she comes to, like, Oh, this person is here to see Jesse. And she's like, Well, Jesse doesn't work here anymore. And I was like, Okay, well, I had an internship. And I'm kind of like, what do you do? Like, I'm yeah. in a suit. Yeah. Can't go I'm, tell my grandmother at this right. point, you know? I'm yeah. not going to leave. I'm like, I'm, I'm here I'm, for the I'm listing. I'm here to learn yeah. about PR. For free. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, do you not use a paper cutter? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, do you not use a glue stick? I'm like, yes. It's like, all right, cool. Can you're you cut in. stems? <laughs> now it gets better. She goes, you're in. I'm like, all right, cool. Do press clippings. I'm like, what's that? She's like, you know, you're gonna take these things, you're gonna glue them together and make a press clipping kit to show our bosses like the coverage we've gotten for the artist. I'm like, okay, great. I started <laughs> to do that for the day. And towards the end of the day, she's like, okay, now we're gonna do a mailing for DJ High Tech. His, his album had come out. I'm like, oh, great. She's like, here are the, the envelopes are there and here's the list of people you have to mail the things to and put the CDs in and mail them out. I'm like, no problem. <laughs> Where are the CDs? And she goes, she just looks at me. Mind you, I've never been in this place before. It's my first day in like the office office. And she goes, you're in college, figure it out. <laughs> so I, I'm stumped, like, kind of like looking around, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. And this guy, headquarters, he had passed away, he was part of Gangstar Foundation. Yeah, yeah totally. So headquarters comes up to me, he's like, what are, what are you looking for? And I was like, oh, the CDs. He's like, man, they never help you, do they? And he opens the thing, he's like, this is where all the CDs are, what do you need? that I tell him and he's like okay cool you're wow. fine come find me if you need anything else and I was like okay that's so decent I mean he was you know and and he you're still wearing a suit I'm still wearing a suit <laughs> now at the end of the day mm -hmm. okay I'm done with my internship and she's like okay what are your days I'm like Monday Wednesday Friday whatever you need them to be she's like okay cool gives me a schedule she's like come here don't be late got it got it got it don't wear the suit <laughs> I was like yeah, I did that for a summer and I learned, you know, a lot. And, and who'd you meet there? <laughs> I met Smith and Wesson. Wow. Which was cool because yeah. I'm a big Smith and Wesson fan. You know, I would see most stuff here and there. But he was like, you know, you see most stuff, like, oh shit, it's most stuff. Yeah. Know, big deal. And one of the funniest stories is there, Cool G Rap had been signed there and he did a photo shoot with his wife. So he did a photo shoot for his album. He did a photo shoot for his, um, he had another one like with his wife. I don't know what they're doing. And they lose the photos. So the general manager comes to me and he's like, hey, 
can you go again? I don't know this guy. I'm an intern. I'm, I'm gluing things. He's like, can you go tell G Rap that you know we lost these photos? And one of my other friends there pulls me aside and he goes, the, on the other intern, he goes, don't tell him anything. <laughs> He's like, Cool G Rap will kill you. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. I'm not doing that. Yeah. I'm not gonna be the person who gets slapped up because. Oh my god. But yeah. So. But beat miners, evil D. Well, it all connects, right? Because now. I had this internship in Maracas. I'm going to Hunter, and I'm living in Brooklyn at the time, and I go work at this record store on Fulton called Music Factory. So the Music Factory is on Fulton. Beach Street's up the block, so it's like you know iconic Beach Street records, and down the block is Music Factory. Slightly less iconic. <laughs> um, but there was another one in Queens where one of the other beat miners, Mr. Walt, used to work. So now I go to work at this record store, I'm like, okay, cool, records. Then I go back to Ruckus, and I see Evil D and Mr. Walt. And they're like, we know you. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I work at this record store. And they're like, you're an intern here. Hold this box. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And it just became one of those things where, like, that's when I started seeing how interconnected everything really, really was. Because I think for a long time, you don't realize how the distribution and everything is so centralized. And, like, who you're going to meet in just the most, I don't call it a mundane job, but just something that, like, isn't as sexy as people think is. I think a lot of people get trapped in there like, oh, music business and you get to go to this and there's parties and the Grammys and that stuff's fine. But like when you're starting out, you're in this position where you're dealing with like the not as fresh stuff, but it actually ends up being the cooler stuff because the more I think about it, the, the, every great connection I had, including like the launch of like starting my career started at that record store. Yeah. So, you know, at that record store, they would do in stores and artists would come by and play their new music and they're all the new signed acts. Right. So this is like 2000, two right and you get rizza rizza puts out birth of a prince and i'm i'm the guy at the record side of it with the vinyl so like i gotta play the records when he comes in you know do all your scratches all yeah. your do tricks all my yeah. scratches do all my flares and grabs. <laughs> and i'm super it's rizza like i'm a huge wu-tang fan like this is the guy like this is the you know the most important to me like iconic figures of of that and he comes in and he's like, what's up, RZA? And I'm like, I know who you are, man. I, I totally know who you are. Just start throwing up. Like, yeah. There's nothing you could do. And he's just like, you know, he sits there. and He's a superhero. He's just signing people's autographs. And he's just talking. He's like, hey, you know, that's cool. I like that. And what, what, what record is over there? And like, you know, because you have mad record stash behind the DJ booth. And he's like, what's that? I'm like, oh, it's random 45, you know, reggae. So I like reggae music. Let me hold that. Let me see that. Okay, cool. And... Somehow, randomly, he would just start talking about music stuff, and he's just like, you know, I put out this album. It was the birth of a Prince record. He's like, yeah, I put out independently, or I guess independent at that time. And he's like, because, you know, eventually there's only going to be, like, three labels. <laughs> I'm gonna, there were way more labels back then. Yeah. And he's like, there's only going to be three. I'm telling you right now. And I was like, all right, RZA. <laughs> like, cool. And then, like, a couple months later, Prodigy comes in. And they're like, oh, Mob Deep has an has a, uh, in-store for their album. You know, we need you to, to DJ for Mob Deep. And I was, their DJ's late. And I was like, I can't DJ for Mob Deep. Like, I can't DJ for Mob Deep. Like, they're a real group. I'm not a real person. Yeah. <laughs> and they come in, and Pro Havoc was late, but Prodigy came in, and he was just like, yo, what's up? It's P. And I was like, I know who you are. And he goes, cool. <laughs> I was like, man, there's no way to win this, right? And one of the craziest ones were we were playing, Alicia Keys had put out Girlfriend. And the B side of Girlfriend was Fallen. Yeah. And a guy I worked with, his name was Kenny. And, and Kenny was always like super plugged in ear. And he was like, this is the wrong song. He's like, this girlfriend song is not it. Right. He's like, it's the other record I'm telling you. And I was like, I don't know, man. Sure, if you say so. 
because again, like he'd been around for longer, so he, he kept playing it over and over again. Alicia Keys comes and does her in-store. They had heard that this record store was always playing this song. I don't know who. Because back then they had retail reps would come in, right? And the retail rep would tell you, play this record. And yeah. they're like, no, we're not playing that. We're playing this. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I heard you guys are always playing this. And he was like, yeah, this is the better song. How seriously were you taking school at that point? Super serious. Oh, okay. I'm West Indian, man. Like, you could not <laughs> take school. You know, I had to get good grades. Like, all the Had to wear your suit. Had, had to, to wear my yeah. suit. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I was going to school. I was going to class. I was working. I was doing, you know. Being real West Indian, I was working five jobs, yeah. you know, had an internship. And again, like it was, let's figure out what this is. This is a means to an end. But again, you don't know. No one teaches you, you know, this is how you break into the music business or entertainment. It's kind of like, here's a degree you need. And you hope that somebody goes, okay, you're qualified enough, I guess. Yeah. But what are my real skill sets outside of learning and understanding well, the basics of college? And what yeah. were those? Well, I mean, I know how to cut paper at this point. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. also I think the hope is that you meet people in those classes and you also meet people outside of those classes, well, 100%. Right? So again, I'm still at the radio station and I leave my internship at Rockus. It finishes. It's a semester. And there's an internship at MCA for this, for A&R. And one I of those like, record labels that yeah, Rizzo was right about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> was so right. It's funny about that, right? So I'm like, oh, I know MCA. The guy who's, this guy, Tom Sarig, who's the head of A&R at the time, he's bringing in kind of like interesting. So he signed Black Alicious. He had... Uh, the Jizza, he had um, a few other roots, a few other people, right? So I go to the internship and I wait five hours to see this guy. Five hours. Power move. <laughs> <laughs> Miss classes, everything, right? Literally. And then he finally, they like, sees me and he goes, You waited five hours? And I was like, Yeah, man, I really want to intern here. I want to, we want to learn. He's like, All right, man, you're in. Like, you're it. Like, who else would wait five hours? Wow. Like, apparently me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So day one. I'm an A&R intern. I don't know what that really means, but I'm like, I'm going to learn so much. I'm going to sign bands. I'm going <laughs> to discover things. Here are a CD. You need to duplicate 10 copies of this. I'm like, now I can make press clippings and I can also yeah, yeah. duplicate yeah. CDs. Where's headquarters to tell me where right. the CDs are? Yeah. You know, there's none of that's going on. It only took you, what, like six months to do this? <laughs> I mean, I've gotten really advanced. Yeah. So the great thing about that was, you know, I'm learning the research process, so at least at the time what it was. They would go and see groups, see artists, whatever. All oh, these guys are interesting. And the acquisition. So Rockus folds into Universal. Now who has a Rockus catalog? MCA. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I'm back where yeah, I started. Yeah. <laughs> no press clippings. And... He hits me. This, this is to tie the whole thing. He hits me. He's like, hey, there's this group out of Minneapolis. Oh, my God. They're playing SOBs. I got to get a meeting with them. No one can get a meeting with these guys. They're called Atmosphere. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I know them. And he's like, no, you don't. I'm like, I'm, I'm telling you I know them. <laughs> I call them up. I finally get them to come for a meeting. And again, they weren't going to sign because Atmosphere did one of the most brilliant things. This is 2003. They did one of the most brilliant things I'd seen. They wanted to expand their audience share and they knew that their type of hip-hop was going to work for like hot 97 or whatever so they go to epitaph which is a rock label yeah and they get distro through them and uh marketing through that side wow so now they're going for like z100 airplay and like mtv alternative yeah right completely different thing than just sitting inside like the core hip-hop world yeah yeah which yeah. was so smart so they come in and they're like look we're not signing anywhere but we're <laughs> gonna come in and just meet with them because we take the meetings you know they're still business sure guys. yeah and i was like all right cool and, you know, they came in and, and after they leave, uh, Tom's like, yeah, they're never going to sign. But like, that's really cool that you were able to pull that off. Wow. And I was like, yeah, man, you should see how I cut paper. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Move <laughs> things together. And, you know, again, at that time, it was like, that's a 
big record label, right? It's Universal. It's a big powerhouse label. And you're just like, whoa, there's a lot of elevators and floors and people and key cards and all that fun stuff. So was that, that in- was that at 825 Worldwide Plaza? Yeah. yeah. So then I leave. That internship ends, right? Flying colors and go back to the record store. Well, I'm still working this whole time. So I'm still dealing with all the, that interesting stuff. And meet a guy who was the music director for Echo, and he used to buy records from me. And he would come in. So back then, Echo had mad retail stores. And they were like, oh, you could, um, he'd buy records and make these mixtapes to play inside the retail stores. Really interesting job. <laughs> and he starts talking to me, and I've been selling him records for like a year now. And he's like, oh, what are you going to do when you're done with school? And I was like, oh, no, man, like, I got to figure this out. He's like, okay, cool. You want an internship? I'm like, Jesus, man, the third one? Like, <laughs> whatever. But this one is paid. Yeah. So, do I, so I think. <laughs> There's an asterisk on the paid. It's paid with clothing. Mm. Did you want Echo clothing? I was sure. I just needed gear. I was a college yeah. kid. And also it was yeah. fly at the time, right? Yeah. So it was one of those things. So I come in and sit in this office. It's 1369 Broadway. It's really small, cramped office. And in there is Coltrane. From Team Epiphany now. Team Epiphany yeah. now was in marketing. And like a few other people. Uh, Jared was in there as well. There was a bunch of us that were just like ended up doing other things within the business, but we all kind of were central in there. And they're like, okay, cool. You can work on the internet because like that wasn't a real thing yet. They had an e-commerce <laughs> presence and they're like, oh, we need to figure out content for the internet, like write things and come up with things. I'm like, okay, cool. So I would do that. Did you have an email address? I had an email address. Mm-hmm. And then what was really cool is after all that, I met the head of global brands and he liked me. And he's like, well, when are you done with school? And I was like, oh, this semester. And he's like, okay, cool. When you're done, call me. I was like, well, sure, whatever. <laughs> so I finished school and I call him. He's like, all right, cool. When do you want to start? And I was like, start doing what? And he's like, all right, we'll figure it out. I think you're smart. You should come in. So I come in. and well, Wait, did like, you think that you were smart? I mean, yeah, smart enough to get, you know, to cut the paper with the glue. And all that. <laughs> no, but like, really, like, did you think no, that you I were smart? No, I think I was able to just edit, right? And say, I can synthesize information and go, okay, what are the things that make sense? And like, what are the things these guys are looking for? to like further their brand because I paid attention to in the, I, I spoke way less than, and I listened more, right? So I was like, oh, that's what they're trying to get to. Oh, they're trying to understand that. What are these new business verticals? What matters to them was more important than just being like, oh, I'm cool or I'm in the thing or I got the right gear because, you know, the finances are limited. You're a college kid and like you're just trying to figure out how do I get from point A to point B and also like there was no Instagram. There was no, none of that was happening. So at the same, like Facebook was out, MySpace was out, but people weren't doing things to stunt like that. It was more like, how do I get from point A to point B and like figure out what I'm going to do in this business and what is, what even is this business, right? Is it, what is entertainment overall? So I go over and they had just done the G unit deal. So Echo has the G unit deal. And he's like, yeah, cool. I want you to work on these things and I want you to develop like the online presence for Echo and for G Unit, and there was this other and Echo. All these companies were split up; they were in all different offices. So Echo Main was a, the showroom was at 1369 Broadway. Then there was 986th Avenue, which was where the creative was. Two blocks away was Complex, and they're like, "Oh, we have this other thing called Complex. It's a magazine that doesn't do well." Like that's how they framed it to us, right? <laughs> before Noah was there, before Rich yeah, 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 yeah. way yeah. back when, right? But these were just like the guys that we hung out with because they were all our age, and they all were kind of like. I don't also know what's happening. I know what I like. Mm-hmm. Rosario Dawson and Nas and, you know, Uncle Junior are on the same cover. That seems cool because we all watch these things and we all like these things. So they're like, you know, 
you could also work on that. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, well, you could write. You know how to write, don't you? And I was like, yeah, sure, of course. Of English course I know major. how to write. Yeah. 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 English minor. Yeah, I'm just- I got this. <laughs> and we were doing a photo shoot. It was for a big lookbook we were doing, and we spent a lot of money on this photo shoot. It was um, Fat Joe and Ghostface and Chiaki Kurama, who's in Kill Bill, and RZA, all these people. So I'm at this photo shoot, massive set, cool. And the deputy editor, this guy Richard Martin, calls me and he's like, hey, we need to fill up pages. Who are you on set with right now? And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, Ghostface is here and RZA's there. And he's like, go talk to RZA. And I was like, we can go talk to RZA. <laughs> like, he's like, I don't know. Go, go get a story. You know how to do this. And I was like, I don't really don't, but okay. <laughs> so I talked to the guy who was the marketing director, who, you know, he and I are still really good friends. And I tell him, and he's like, listen, man, he doesn't have a publicist here, but if you can convince him to talk to you, good for you. So I go over and I, hey, Riza, remember we met one time at the record store? And he's like, yeah, I vaguely remember you. And he's like, cool. And I was like, well, can I interview for Complex? They want to do this thing. And, you know, what are you working on? He's like, oh, I'm working on the Kill Bill score. Sure, you could talk to me. And he's like, let's go outside. And he was like the most coolest person because we went outside and he just talked to me. Like I was super nervous because like now I'm interviewing this guy. Yeah, yeah. Who I don't really know except the one time I met him and listened. Are you to recording him. it? I'm recording with a camcorder. <laughs> I took a camcorder from what they were filming, and I was like, "This is how I'm gonna have to do this." Which, by the way, was the future of journalism. hundred percent. You didn't know it in that moment, you know, but then you would, you, would. Were you even able to use the video to put online because they didn't no, have native I players? Transcript, transcribed yeah. it, and then wrote it for print because it was for print. Yeah. So I bang it out, whatever. I write it, and it's like. It's not a great written article when I write it, so they edited it, they send it back. I'm like, oh, I see what you guys want. Like, you don't want just me to report to you. You want me to give it some flares. I do it. Then they call me and they're like, oh, by the way, we upped your thing. Can you give us, it was a 200 words to begin with. Like, we upped your thing. Can you give us 400 words? And I was like, sure I can. It's just two times as much. Yeah. <laughs> so I send it to them. Cool, there it is, whatever. They Put in a bunch it. of adjectives. Put in, yeah, very, very, RZA is very, 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 very cool. Tall. <laughs> and I send it in. And they're like, great, cool. And then it comes out like a couple months later. And I was like, whoa, this is cool. It was Ashton Kutcher and Christina Milian. It was that cover. And you have a byline? Yeah, byline. Man. They fit your name in there? Yeah, they fit my name in there, the whole thing. (laughs) And and I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like, you know, I I, I have it framed. This is my mom's house. Yeah. And I was like, this is cool. And then they would hit me every so often. Hey, you know what? I'm still working at Echo, whatever. And like, oh, you want to do this? Write this, write that. So I was like, cool, I'll tap that, you know, figure out that part of my life. At the same time, um, Mark Echo launched his signature collection, Mark Echo Cut and Sew, and he brought in Emil Wilbekin from Vibe. Yeah. So Emil comes in to run the brand, and he and I just ended up becoming cool. And Emil's like, yeah, you know, like, I, I kind of figure out that you, you know, you know about certain things and you can write, cool. I'll keep that in mind. I'm like, sure. <laughs> I moved to LA for Echo. So we launched this program called Echo TV, which was like in-store retail programming. Well, and how did that conversation go? Because like LA is a big move. I was 24 and it starts with like the president of Echo, this guy, Seth Gersberg, was like, hey, we'd spent enough time together and we threw a festival in Canada uh, called Getting Up to promote the Mark Echo video game. <laughs> and we were promoting the video game it was a big concert. It was like Mo Steph and, and uh, Kanye West and Nas and Fat Joe and huge two-day thing at the docks in, in Toronto. Man. Massive. Yeah. And he's like, you know, we'd spend time up there. And he's like, oh, you should, you know, we should spend more time together. And I was like, cool. He's the president of the company. And I'm not, you know, I'm a low-level employee, whatever. And 
he called the guy who ran the West Coast office. He's like, oh, I like this guy. He should go to L.A. with you and work out of your L.A. office. So he comes to me and goes, hey, do you want to move to L.A.? <laughs> and I was like, that, he didn't like preface with anything. He wasn't yeah. like, mm-hmm. hey, what's up? How are you doing? Let's yeah. just walked up to me and start. And I was like, this is a threat? Like, what are you saying? Yeah. Well, actually, was it a big deal? Because you had moved so many times. It wasn't. It wasn't a big deal because what I did very quickly in that moment, to, to your point, is I thought about it real quick. And I was like, well, what do I have? I rent an apartment. I don't have any kids. Right. I, you know, at the time, I didn't have a girlfriend. I was just like, what am I really losing? Except, you know, I didn't. Three gonna hours. Break, yeah. I wasn't yeah. going to break my lease either. So yeah. I was like, I didn't have anything really. I didn't own anything that I was like, oh, I need that except my records. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, that sounds fine. You give me more money? He's like, yeah, I'll give you more money. I was like, cool. Well, that being said, so like one time I was working for HBO on this failing website. <laughs> back in like 2007 and they were like, Hey, the, the website's doing terribly. <laughs> we're going to shut down the New York office. Mm-hmm. There's an LA office in New York office. They were pouring a hundred thousand dollars into this thing. Like every week it was like insane. And they fired everybody in New York. They asked me if I wanted to move to LA and I was like, no. So like it could have gone yeah. either way. Like you could have been like, you could have just been like, I don't feel comfortable moving across the country. I think it was, I don't really think, I think for me, it was just like, I was so used to moving around because I moved around so much that I was like, this is kind of what you do. Yeah. You move around. Like, that's what life is. Right? Yeah. At that point, I'm 24 at the time. And I was like, that's my entire life has just been like, cool, we're friends. We're mm-hmm. friends to a point. And again, this is before social media. So we're not staying in touch. Yeah. And it was just like, all right, bye. So you move out to LA. So I moved to LA. All the friends you'd made in New York. We're, you know, hey, I'm moving to LA. You could, you could call, text, write, I guess, whatever, you know, yeah. sure. Okay. Like, it wasn't enough to me. It wasn't like that I was, I didn't look at it that I was losing something because I was always like, oh, I could always come back. Yeah. So yeah. you got a car out there? I had a car out there. I had a Honda Accord. All right. It was Good resale value. Yeah. Good resale value. My Very sis- sensible. My sister has it still to this nice day. Nice, hey, listen. With 2005. How many miles? I don't know. <laughs> 30. Probably. <laughs> um, had that, moved there. Lived there for two years, and then I was like, eh, I don't really like it here anymore. And then I yeah. moved back. But you're still working for, for Echo. For Echo. Yeah. And then, well, I moved, when I leave LA, I leave Echo. I'm like, all right, guys, this has been a good run. This has been a good run as well. Got to go. And I leave and I come back, and um, I have a stint at this company, drjays.com. Oh, like the uh, like their clothing, clothing store, like the e-commerce version. So, do yeah. you think at this point that your whole like world is like hip hop clothing? Yeah, it's like not even hip hop clothing. It's just like the lifestyle clothing element mm. like that's that's tangential to music, mm-hmm. right? So, at the same time, I'm like, oh, okay, I understand brands and Echo. At that point, when it, the point where I left, I think we had twelve brands. And uh, a giant rhinoceros. And a giant rhinoceros. <laughs> Save the Rhino Festival. We yes. had a lot of things I do to rhinos. I mean, it was Echo. It was Echo Red. It was G-Unit. It was... Cut and Sew. Cut and Sew. Zoo York. Averex. Oh, man. Femme Arsenal, which was a women's brand that was amazing. Um, How many Averex, uh, like, leathers did you have? I never had the Averex leathers. I never had... Because, like, Averex leather, we didn't have the leather. We had the soft goods, but the leathers, I think, were a separate license. But I didn't have the... It also wasn't my style. Like I had yeah. all the New York stuff, and like mm-hmm. New York was like at the time was going to compete against Supreme. Like that was the idea. Yeah. And then they made let me Ash- tell you something. Then they made Ashton Kutcher the face, and then yeah, it, yeah. Just, it all went downhill. <laughs> I don't feel like New York resale value is like out of here. I mean, we could make that happen. <laughs> the thing that was cool about New York was it wait. Got do you really think that we could turn it around? No. <laughs> hey gang, it's Jeff from the podcast here, and boy, did I get an email last night. <laughs> 
That's a cool brag, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Zachary Holtkamp hit me up and said, hey, last week you said that if somebody buys 100 t-shirts, yeah. then you can afford a new iPhone. I remember that. And then he said, you don't even have 100 t-shirts on sale. That is not true. We have thousands of t-shirts for sale. Listen, guys. Tens of thousands. If you go to itstherealcom slash shop right now, go and buy 100 t-shirts. We have tens of thousands of t-shirts lining our apartment. It's very hard to live here. Please buy one or 200 yeah. <laughs> just to allow us some space to eat. That would be so sleep. dope. That would be so awesome, guys. We don't want to live amongst all these thousands of t-shirts. They're getting moldy. <laughs> Buy them before they go bad. <laughs> Great selling point. They're it's the real.com slash shop. Get the non-moldy ones. <laughs> Get the ones that are least moldy. Here's the thing, guys. It keeps us, it literally keeps us alive if you guys buy t-shirts, so why not buy? Right. Let's put the guilt on our listeners. We are dying out here. Happy International Podcast Day. Save your third favorite podcast. And now back to this one. The thing that was cool about New York when, when Echo got them was it was the offshoot of Shut, right? So Shut Skateboards is this guy, Rodney, and a, few, a bunch of other people. They were, they were a loose crew New York was like graffiti riders and skateboarders, whatever. Their East Coast skateboarding team or crew, mm-hmm. and Rodney was a black skateboarder. And in that, like, I don't want to get the timing wrong, but I was like the early '80s, you know, around that time, mm-hmm. you didn't see that. He was like this this icon and this pioneer. So New York comes in, and Harold Hunter is there, and you're like, oh shit, that's Harold Hunter. Like he's a legend in the skate world, and he's just raw. Like this dude is just a raw dude just crazy and you would see him and like he'd pop up to the office with like Rosario Dawson and you're like whoa this is nuts man Rosario Dawson's here and also is Harold and then like <laughs> I remember one time I was in Queens I was at this diner random diner like super late night and I see him and like a few other guys and he's like yo what are you doing here and I'm like eating <laughs> and he's like what are you doing I was like what are you doing here he's like oh we're skating swimming pools I was like what do you mean it was dead of winter too and I was like when are you skating swimming pools he's like yeah in the wintertime, when they drain the swimming pools, we break in and we skate them. In California. Right. And I was like, it's like December. And he's just like, nah, man, it's cool. All right, I'll catch you. That's awesome. You know, and like, you know, unfortunately he passed away. But like Harold Hunter was like a real, it was just a cool, again, all these guys were just like pop culture figures that you knew, like you knew him from kids. And then you would just see him and he was just cool. Like it was just like a cool guy. So drjays.com was Karma Loop your biggest like competitor? Karma Loop was the biggest competitor at the time. Ooh, fuck Karma Loop. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> I never had any interaction with no, him. No, get it off your chest. Yeah, right sure. <laughs> I did that for nine months. And then I get a call. No, it was a little bit longer than nine months. And I get a call from Emil Wilbekin. And he's like, hey, who worked at Echo? And he's yeah. like, hey, I'm at this magazine called Giant. Right. Do you want to be a senior editor over here? And I was like, Sure. <laughs> What does that mean? Yeah. And he's like, nah, you come and you'll do the book and you'll handle all the lifestyle elements and you'll write about things and, you know, you could focus on music and art and stuff. And so what like, year is this about? 2008. Okay. And we're still talking. 2007. We're still talking like a physical magazine. A physical like new printed stands. magazine. You got to go buy it at the newsstand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It comes out. You got to read Circulation. Yeah, all yeah. of it. Circulation is this. And yeah, 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 yeah. All that fun stuff. How much of your, of your day is the internet? I mean, personally, it's all of it, right? And, I, and the way I looked at it was, I was like, oh, that's cool, the magazine. So, like, there's an internet thing. And they're like, no, 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 that's two separate things because the magazine is what goes and that's advertising and whatnot. Was it giant.com or? It was giantmagazine.com. Got it, got it. And I'm like. Good for SEO. Good for, great for SEO. <laughs> lots, of, lots of great learnings. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, I, I, what I couldn't understand was, again, like, 
the iPhone hadn't come out yet. So BlackBerry was still out. So you could see how people were like, well, it's not going to really go. That's not going to really take off because look at your BlackBerry. You can't find these things. And I was like, no, no, this, this is the real thing because people buy things online. People don't buy things online. You're crazy. Like, that's never going to take off, right? There was a lot of that. Yeah. And... You mean fear of like putting credit cards on there, or I think it was just like it, you wouldn't get your product that you even ordered. Fear. Or? I think there was this it's probably thing just that it wasn't real. It mm. wasn't real, and there wasn't instant gratification, right? You couldn't just go in and pick up what you oh, wanted. It was it I gotta on. wait, right, right? And I got and I can't send it back. And what if I need it tomorrow? Like no one was. People were doing very binary. It was like if I can't get this right now, then I'll never get it. And if I get this and it's the wrong size or it doesn't feel right or if it's not the right color, then what? then I'm screwed. Yeah, right. And you're like, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but again, the iPhone hasn't come out yet. So I go to Giant, work on a bunch of stuff, and like, you know, there's a section called Flash, which was kind of like new artists that were coming up. We put Cuddy in there. We put Nicki Minaj in there. Um, you know, I was fortunate to work with a lot of really talented people, Mary H.K. Choi. Yeah. Um, you know, like people like that, that she was our features editor, Emil, obviously. And like, you were able to learn kind of like how things worked and okay, this is what I'm going to make this big. And okay, if you put this person here, then, you know, in timing and why would you do, because I think a lot of times people would be like, no, you got to put this thing in there now because this is like the cool person. And they're like, no, no, but is this the right thing in two months? Right. right. Magazine drops in two months. Yeah. So you learn how to be ahead. So a lot of us, and I think a lot of us now, like a lot of my peers that work in either the music business or other things, a lot of us who came from the publishing world, always had this mindset of like, well, is this relevant in two, three, four, five months? Because that's when it, on stands, it needs to make sense. Instant online is, you know, publishing online is fine, but you really need to be aware of like what's going to happen in the future and hope your bets are right. Cause you don't want to be the guy that placed like the wrong bets overall. Yeah. And you're like, he never hit anything. Right. Right. You know? <laughs> and it was a cool scene because like, you know, Santos party house is happening. Like yep. there's, there's a lot, that scene is kind of reemerging and you get like this proximity of like all this new generation of artists, like, Cuddy and like Kanye's being like very all the music that's coming out of those camps is more interesting and different and more dynamic and then the iPhone comes the iPhone comes everybody's like whoa, whoa, whoa what, is, <laughs> what, is, what is this and there's apps and it's touchscreen and it's a cool thing and then you start realizing oh wait a minute this is gonna change a lot of the person and again there were smartphones that had these other capabilities but sure. this is the mass marketed one so people are like oh there's self publishing and there's apps and I can go online and I no longer have to wait for these things so now you have that, you have the decline of just journalism overall because of music piracy, whatnot is affecting the music magazines, and then you have the recession. All that comes at the same time, and you're like, oh shit. Yeah. So, Emil leaves, um, he goes to Essence. You were still there. I was still there, and then he, he <coughs> called me, he's like, hey, there's this new company, um, they're looking for somebody like you, can I connect you? And I was like, yeah, man, whatever, like, connect me with whoever. And the company was Rock Nation. But I didn't know that. That's that's small little company. But I didn't know yeah, that because yeah. he was just like, he didn't tell me that. Yeah. Didn't. So I get an email. I meet with some people over there. And I end up meeting with John Manili. Um, he's just like, yeah, I like you. You seem fine. I'm like, <laughs> and again, I know who he is. And this is a really funny John Manili story. Like, not even about him, but like just about the, this. I think one of the things I've always tried to like even tell people that I work with now, like junior staff or not, is like really, really, really read. And read everything. And I don't just mean books. I mean, pay attention to what you see. So I get hired over there to run what becomes Life and Times and then I end up like, you know, uh, SV Creative and all that stuff and work there for like, you know, eight years. Yeah. Great. The greatest part about that whole thing is I'm like, oh, I know who this guy is. He is, you know, Rockware and Jay-Z's manager, Rockefeller, all these. I know all these things about this guy. Except I go back one day and I'm listening to a Quicksand album. <laughs> 
And I have the vinyl for Manic Compression, which is the second record. I remember, Quicksand's a hardcore New York band. Yeah. And I'm just, you know, as one does, I put on my record and I'm reading the liner notes. And I see management, Scott McGee. I'm like, I know who that is. I know that name. He's managed other people. Business management, John Manili. I'm like, hold <laughs> up, wait a minute. So I call him and I'm like, hey, did you business manage Quicksand in 1995? And he's like, yeah. Why are you asking me this? I'm like, well, and I tell him and he goes, okay. I was like, well, why don't you tell him? And he goes, it's not a question. He's like, you never asked. Yeah. I was like, should I ask you if you business managed everybody? And he goes, you could start. And it was just really funny to me because it's like, again, it shows you how small yeah. and like connected everything is because an even crazier one is years later we get to talking. He's like, oh, you, you interned at Raucous. I'm like, yeah. It's like, I think I used to sign your intern checks because the company he was with was part, I guess, of some way, shape, or form affiliated with the financing of, of Rockus. And I was just like, oh, no, I never got any internships. <laughs> <laughs> it really is a small business and a small industry. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure at that point you could have never seen you guys, you know, having a friendship that lasted all these years. Yeah. So eight, eight years of Rock Nation. How did your skill set improve, you think, in, the, in that time? I think it just, you know, it makes you... Because you weren't just doing e-commerce anymore. <laughs> no, that, that, I left that a long time yeah. ago. I think it helps you with, um, and again, it wasn't even really e-commerce, if I'm being clear. It wasn't At Dr. J's? No, I'm saying that was on the creative side. Like All I was doing on that side was like coming up with concepts and creative. But what I learned there, actually, and I have to give them a lot of credit for this, is our CFO was very, very, very um, specific on like learning CPM and advertising. So his whole thing was like, I don't want to just do things that are cool. I want you to show me measurable and he was like, you could spend X amount of money. Just make sure the CPM is right. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. Like, you're going to let me spend $100,000 in advertising so long as the CPM falls below a certain number? And he was like, yeah, because my, my money is going to be maximized against X amount of impressions. And I was like, oh, I get what you're doing. You're really smart. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because I think a lot of times we get caught up in this thing of like, oh, it looks cool or there's a big thing or there's a billboard or whatever. And that stuff is fine, but like he was really big on measurable transactional. He's like, I'm running a business and I want to show that this converts to this. And it was a good lesson to learn and like a skill set to learn because it informed a lot of like my creative thinking. I was like, well, if we're going to spend this much money or we're going to do this with this, what are we going to get out of it? Things can look great and they can be appealing. But again, what are the things that you can turn around to your, you know, whether you're working at a company that has investors or, you know, private or publicly held, you say, look, I've generated X, Y, and Z for you based on what I've done. So it's like, if you're able to balance the creative piece of what you're doing with the, you know, either with smart financial or working with a person who's a really smart financial person, then you're able to ac execute a lot. And those have always been like the best relationships I've had. You know, I've worked with people that are really, really, really talented at like money management or like understanding the finance piece. And they don't, they don't prohibit the creative, but they say, hey, look, we're going to do this, but we need to see X because we're doing this as opposed to like, ah, oh, go for the free for all and do whatever you want. Yeah. And even in that time too, how do you think you grew as a person? Like, do you, like as people like get yeah. higher and higher in positions, uh, you end up being like a manager and you have to have new skills in terms of like working with a bigger company and, and that company had to grow yeah. like by leaps and bounds. I think too. I was able to meet with, you know, meet people that had really interesting and new perspectives. Like, you know, one of the people that, uh, love and adore to this day you know Shaka yeah. I worked really closely with Shaka and Shaka made me Shaka and John I'd say made me like really great you know in 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 my creative thinking because 
Shaka would approach everything with no stress. It could be whatever it was, right? And anything could be going wrong. And I'd be like, well, that, this is going wrong. And this didn't come through. And we missed this deadline. And she'd go, okay, well, <laughs> here's what we're going to do. We're not going to stress. We're going to do it this way. We're going to think about this. Well, who else can we call? All these things, you know, and, and her ability to kind of look at things and say, you know, we were working on a, on a video shoot one time. And I remember we had to drive to Palm We're in LA. And we had to drive to Palm Springs for the shoot. And the call time was 7 a.m. At, in Palm Springs when we're in LA. So I'm do the thing. And I'm like, it's three hours away or four hours away. I'm like, all right, Shaka. I'll pick you up at 4 a.m. And she's like, okay. And I get there and she's there, ready to go. And she's like, you're on time. And I'm like, I told you I'd be on time. She's like, can you drive all this way? And I'm like, yeah, I could drive. Fine. I don't want to drive. Yeah, yeah. And the whole way we're there, she goes to sleep. And I was like, yo, you can't sleep the whole way. Like, I'm, it's, I'm tired too. Yeah. I, but I'm driving. And she's like, no, 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 it's okay. Because when I get up, I'll be refreshed. And you can take a nap. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think I'm going to sleep in the car in the <laughs> desert, but sure. But again, it was like the idea of you're dealing with the problem in the moment as opposed to just like, ah, being anxious. Or like, this is an anxious business, right? People get really anxious about things. And like, oh my God, this is going to happen. What if this? What if, what if, what if, what if? It's not really the thing. The thing is more like, okay, let's deal with the problem as it's happening. And then make our informed decision based on what that is. So if there's another thing that arises, then you deal with that. You take everything step by step, moment by moment, as opposed to like, you know, you can lay out all of the plans and variables. And you see it more and more these days, right? I see massive campaigns and not just in music, just in general, whatever it is. And then something tragic happens over there or, you know, the internet fails. Or there's all these things that happen and then people go, oh shit, my whole plan is out of whack because... You know, I didn't get this laid up. Here's a huge difference between uh, 2019, in, in, in I feel like in any business, but certainly in creative, mm -hmm. um, and 2006, 2007, and 2008, which is that you probably have to find that balance between planning for like whatever two quarters from now, but also like reacting right away yeah. and shifting. Yeah. So how do how do you balance that? I mean, I think you end up, one, you have to have, you work with people in a team that understands that mindset and people who are able to take risk. You know, the risk analysis piece of it is like, what is the best and worst in this scenario that can happen? And if you can mitigate the bad part of the risk, that's cool. But if you know there's some exposure to it, then it's just, that's okay. As long as everybody's aware and you're like, okay, cool, this is what could happen. And that works with artists, managers, like your core team, your executives, whoever they are. Because it's like, as long as you're synthesizing all the information and saying, this is what's going to happen if we do this and this, this is what could also happen. I just want you to be aware of the information. Then you can make the decision. If it's just like, oh man, I didn't know. I didn't want to tell them they were going to get mad. You know, this is an, uh, it, the, the whole creative industry entertainment and whatnot is an emotional business. It's driven by emotion, people's reaction to art, people's interpretation of art. So at any point, somebody's going to like something or not like something. You know what I mean? And you have to be prepared for whatever those things are. So if something goes wrong, album leaks. You know, I see albums leak, right? And not anymore, but when they used to. Yeah. And everybody would just, oh my God, the album's leaked. And what are we going to do? And the, the whole world is on fire. And I'm like, okay, well. I'm going to call my friends at Target up in <laughs> Minneapolis. <laughs> you know, we'll but again, yeah. somebody, you know, the smarter managers that I would know would go, okay, well, let's look at the reaction and let's figure out how that informs our tour strategy. If the music that leaks is out, and we see that there's this response and people are gravitating to four out of the 10 songs. Maybe those four out of the 10 songs are something we should do with on tour. 
Like they're, they're able to go, this is a problem that happened. Let's think about how we can now use the other business elements that we're working with to do well with it. Yeah. As opposed to like the whole world. Again, you try to plug the leak. You try to fix all that yeah. stuff. But it's mm-hmm. like, as opposed to, oh man, the whole thing is done. You know, you look at, it's a lot different now, right? Like, like I was looking at the, the Sonic the Hedgehog <laughs> movie, the movie trailer, yeah, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as soon as you saw it, if you ever played Sonic the Hedgehog, that you were was like, not that's it. not it. Yeah. yeah. And you knew a bunch of people who weren't involved in that were like, oh, yeah, this is fine. He's a right, yeah. hedgehog mutant thing, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not what the yeah. show is about. Make it's him taller. Game is about. Make yeah. him taller. Give him more feet. Right. <laughs> and you're like, and you're like, immediately people were like, no, dude, not this. Mm-hmm. Not even close. So they had to go back and redraw everything. And it makes me think to myself, like, you probably should have thought about this first. Because you could have saved yourself a lot of it. And again, there's a lot of people who work hard on these things. And sometimes it misses the mark, like the Game of Thrones finale. Like, there's a lot of things that miss the mark in that type yeah. of thing. But, and sometimes it's not just answering what people are looking for. But in that example, it's like, that was just wasn't it. That's sure. not the thing. Sure. I think it's the most interesting time now. I look at, you know, any, again, it doesn't have to just be a musician. But I look at, like, actors and people in film. I look at what Lily Singh is doing with her late night show. And, like, people like that. And I'm like, oh, these, like, she's a good example of somebody who comes from YouTube. And has a late night show. And in a, in part of me goes, is that the validation piece? Like, is it mm. coming from, quote unquote, the internet, which is this weird vacuum that doesn't exist to a lot of people, even though it's massive? Yeah. And then going to late night television, is that the metric of success? I think it is for her because there's a representation piece in there. And there's also something, I mean, she's the first woman, woman of color. Like, there's all these things that are amazing about it that put her on this lap that's never been done before. So I think that's great. But then the other part of it, too, is like, you just want to see people that are really good at their craft or really tr- working win. Like, look at you guys. Like, I remember when you guys were doing the skits and stuff back yeah, in the day, and I was yeah. like, "These are terrible." Like, these guys, <laughs> I never ever want to. I never want to hear from these guys again. You know? And now look. Yeah, and you bothered us for ten years to get up here, and, and here listen, you are. Here yeah, I am. Yeah. And I had to follow Nelly, but you know, <laughs> no, I think a lot of it has to do with just like you're in a place where people want. There's an escapism in like watching like people that you really champion come. You're still talking about us, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Is there anything that you fear in the music industry these days? I think it's the most, you know, I was listening to the, like, I was watching the rollout of um, JPEG Mafia's album and mm-hmm. I really like him a lot. And I, you know, I'd heard his records before and I was like, this kid's super talented. And I was watching these people. Oh, well, you know, that's that that exists over there. That's that type of music over there. And I was like, that's so stupid. Like, I think the biggest fear that I have in the music business is just like this idea of still trying to put things in boxes mm-hmm. exists, even though. And again, it's not something that I think anybody. I know why people wanted to. And I also understand people like, and eh, this makes sense. Like, I don't deal with the boxes or whatever. But I think the big thing about it is like the if anybody ever became like either. Not anybody, but if the music, the, the artist and whatnot became less inspired and just said, all right, I was going to recut the other song that we made, you know. Yeah. Like there was a time, and I can't remember which artist it was. I just remember it was years ago. An artist sampled themselves. Hmm. And it was like, oh, it was Nas. And I was like, <laughs> I was like oh, we, why would you do that? Yeah. Like it's, it was a good record the first time. Yeah. How did we do it again? I know it worked the first time. But it also worked for Jay-Z. Yeah. Did he sample himself? No, I'm saying it, that sampling Nas worked for oh, Jay-Z. Yeah, 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 but I yeah, think yeah. there's a difference between sampling Snoop or Nas or Jay or whoever. There's right. a difference as opposed to like, I'm going to do hip hop, you know, is dead. And then the other, like yeah. to yeah. do that. And then you're just kind of like, oh, okay. You know. Yeah. 
And, and again, that's fine for that. Again, that's no, a, but I'm I'm quite literally saying Jay Z <laughs> sampled Nas because Nas was using his voice yes, wrong. Yes, I heard this record. Okay, I, I also got the joke, Jeff. Yes, Thank yes, God. Yes, yes. I just feel like I'm on, like on a different planet. <laughs> no, you're in the same one. Yeah. Um. But no. But you're somebody who grew up and you're like, yeah, I like punk, but I also like hip hop. Yeah. And it's like you the don't have to just like one or the other. But the two aren't the same. Are the punk, hip hop you know edm dance music whatever they call it now like those things aren't different to me they're just like i don't hear them it's gonna sound weird like i don't hear them differently than i do you know they all sound kind of like they're the same thing to me it's like in a weird and i think a lot of people at least in our generation like grew up the same way right it's like you're just like, yeah, I like this Nirvana song, and I also like this Biggie song. You're like, what's the difference? It's just a great song. Right. And I think it's only when people, no, no, you got to listen to this thing because that's the thing that we're trying to sell to you. You got to wear these clothes because that means you're this or right. that. Yeah. You know, I was watching mid-90s on a plane. Yeah. And like, I was like, oh, all this music is super hip-hop in here, right? But then you have Trent Reznor and Atticus doing the score from Nine Inch Nails, and it's like, oh, these guys are doing, this is an iconic industrial metal band. And right. Like, you know. They're right up there with Ministry and all these other hardcore bands, like hardcore industrial bands doing music that's set to Souls of Mischief. Yeah. And there's, it all makes sense. Yeah. There's no moment where you're like, no, 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 no. Right. That didn't work. Every Travis concert is a mosh pit. It's amazing. It's yeah. great to see. You know, it, it's cool when you see like different people just like enjoying all these things and these different shared experiences. I, I think the more interesting to me is like when you see people um, like discover things and they're like, oh, I didn't know that was this, or that's why I like that song, or, oh, I didn't realize that that person could play the guitar or the drum or whatever the case may be. Those things are always really interesting to me because, like, you know, you're at a place now, I think, where you have streaming, you have the internet, I mean, you've had it for a while, but you have this ability to, like, constantly access things and, like, get to uh, uh, the root of something. And, you know, when it went, um, let's take it back to college. When I was in college, my, one of my best friends, he's still one of my best friends to this day, he and I shared a radio station, a radio show at the radio station. And what I would do, you're gonna like this, is I would play <laughs> the Reflection Eternal record, yeah, yeah. right, Fortified Live, <laughs> and that would end my set, and he would play the original sample of the reggae record that it was sampled That's from. That's dope. And when Lucifer came out, we were like, oh shit, <laughs> yeah. look at that, it's Max <laughs> Romeo and the Upsetters, like, it's amazing. Yeah. But it was one of those things where we were like, look how interconnected everything, and again, I know it's a very... You know, it's been said a million times before, like blues and hip hop and pop. Yeah, right, and all these things yeah. go yeah. together. They're yeah. all minor pentatonic scale. Like they're all right. connected. But at the same time, it's like the once you start getting closer and closer to it, the more you're like, oh, you know, that's cool because it's just a good song or it's a good artist or it's a good band. Like all my favorite bands, I would say, or you know, just groups, or whatever, they all fused that together. You know, they put those things, you know. Rage was, Against the Machine. Rage Against the Machine was a huge influence on me. You know, it still is. Still is. is. Yeah. Still yeah. is. My yeah. dog's name Rage. Yeah. He's a very good boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, In case he's listening. He's yeah. going to listen. Yeah. He's going he's gonna, to... I'm going to play this for him <laughs> when I leave the house so you can just hear my voice. He'll hear your guys' voice too. It'll be weird. <laughs> no, and the thing, it's like, that was a band, I think, for me, that when I got introduced to them, first of all, like, you want to talk about great marketing. It's like, oh, there's a guy on fire. Yeah. What is this? What is this type, you know? What are these visuals? What the the first video I saw, I remember I saw the Freedom video and it was all for Leonard Peltier and I was like, wait a minute, why are they putting all this information? Again, it's like a 
13 year old Chandra is getting like super radicalized. <laughs> Not radicalized. Right, like, right, right, right. Like, 13 yeah. year old Chandra is watching this thing and being like, what is this? Like, who's this guy? Why are they talking about him? Why did this happen? And then you're like, oh, and then it tells you at the end, if you want to know more, read this book, The Spirit of Crazy Horse. Read that. And I was like, I'm going to go read this book. And I went into the library, checked it out. Librarian looked at me like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm going to read this book and I'm going to understand what this song is about and what this band is about and why this guy is in jail. Yeah. And then it led me to like understand like, you know, the plights at the time and still happening of like the Native American people and whatnot. And then I think that's the one thing that I was all super attracted to is like any artist, because any artist that you put out art, you can have like, and again, I don't use the word, it's not political, but it's like you have an informational, you have access to give people information, right? So if you look at like that band, here's all this stuff and you would go to their show and there's literature and they're like, here's a pamphlet and here's the thing and here's why you should do this and learn about this. And I remember going to hardcore shows and being like, oh man, like go to a snap case show or a refuse show or an earth crisis show. And they're like, here's literature on veganism. And I was like, what is veganism? And you know, I was like 15 and they're like, yeah, you don't eat meat, you don't eat dairy. And I'm like, I'm going to do that. You know, and I stuck with it and haven't eaten meat in your dairy for like 20 something years now. But it's because I went there and I was like, and it wasn't like, I'm just going to go follow a trend. It was more like, oh, there's a reason that you guys are doing this. Show me the reason. And, and, you know, again, when you're young, you're more, you're going to take in more information and be less skeptical. Yeah. But then they're showing you like, oh, we do this because of this. And here's what animals are going through. Or here's what, you know, this does to your body. And here's what, you know, the health complications. You start learning about it and you're like, got it. And then when you would buy records or CDs, it would have all this literature in the actual thing. When Evil Empire came out, I remember my friend gave me a a dubbed copy. She got the record the day before. She gave me a dubbed cassette tape of it. Wow. Really raged against the machine. Super <laughs> raged against the machine. Yeah, stole it from the corporate overlords. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah, who you Sam work Goody. for now. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> it was a Sony release. And... <laughs> and um, I bought, then I bought the CD when it came out on the Tuesday. Right? Good cover. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but when I bought the CD, if you open the insert, there's all these books. Mm-hmm. There's a whole thing of books. And I was like, what? You know, you know some of the books, but you're like, Wretched of, again, 15 year old. Now I'm 15. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, what is Wretched of the Earth? What is this? What? Oh, I'm going to read all these books too. So you start reading these books and you're like, oh, I understand what that song is about. But more importantly, I understand that there's a bunch of other shit happening in the world yeah. that I probably should be informed about. So you're saying this is how Genius.com should be redone. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think it's good when you want to figure out how to spell, you know, the right lyrics. Hey, Rob. Yeah. Hey, do Brendan. You, yeah. Do you consider yourself? Do yeah. you do you consider yourself a music man? What does that mean? Like, like the musical, not the musical. <laughs> like, do you consider yourself like like a man of the music business? I mean, yeah. I tangentially or directly have worked in it for 20 years. So like. Uh, it's nothing to shy away from. I think it's great. I think it's great to like work with artists or, you know, with musicians or, or executives or executives or people who are in, I was getting to that. Okay. <laughs> or people, or people who are, you know, all for, cause again, music business is bigger than just like artists and marketing. It's so many other things that go into it. Release planning and lawyers and like all these things that are kind of interns to cut the paper. Intern, yeah. We don't do that anymore, man. <laughs> all these interns are soft. Yo. <laughs> I should have framed the paper cutter. Yeah. But it's like, it's like. That would have been a very weird story for whoever walked in. Yeah. So what do you have that? Well, yeah. let me tell you a story. <laughs> Has to um, have like its own like stand. Yeah, exactly. You know what's crazy is like at that time too, it was a real thing. 
you would get the magazine and you would cut up the magazine and then put the magazine on paper, glue it together, oh, and yeah. go look at this clip. Yeah. Not just hand them the magazine with like the thing in it. Like you could have easily tabbed it and been like, hey, turn to page 32. Right. I look at you thinking of all these solutions. I spent a summer interning at a music video and commercial and documentary <laughs> company. And they had me for a time before they were like, okay, you're actually really good and can like do more than this. But I had to take actual VHS cassette tapes, put lighter fluid on the uh, side of it to get the label, label off, off. Oh, yeah. wow. and all like the glue and everything. So and like had a, to do that for like, you so know, like duplicating weeks. porn. Did you have to, huh? yes, yeah, 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 yeah. It's exactly That's like what duplicating it was, porn. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of us came up that way. Like friends of mine that I've been friends with for a long time that have been in this business, like, whether on the ad side, whether on the creative side, whether in music, film, whatever, we all kind of looked at things and were like, that's the right, you know, sneaker and that's the right thing and that's the right playlist. And like at the end of the day, all of us kind of looked at like, how do you edit these parts of your life together? But also how do you use that for the rest of like whatever your marketing mix or creative mix is going to be? Because like that's really all it is, right? It's like how do you get this emotional response out of people and then how do you get them to either listen to the music or engage with the artist or buy the ticket, you know? Look at the, the most up example is really good. A friend of mine sent it to me, He's he just turned 30, right? So which means when that album came out, he was what, 10? So he's like, yo, look at this show, we have to go. And I'm like, why are you gonna go? You're 10 when this comes out. He's right. like, no, this is, this, is, this is the foundation of what I'm, I'm into. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, you know, I was 20 when this came out. You know, so for me, there's another experience and there's somebody else who was 30 when it came out. Totally. And we all go there and we're all like, oh, let's all sing, you know. So we have a, we have a friend, John Sparks, mm -hmm. um, who is an amazing uh, mixer and master. And uh, he lives in New Jersey. And he said the other day on Twitter that he finally watched the finale to The Sopranos. And we're like, you live in New Jersey. It was years late. <laughs> well, yeah. And he and we were like, what? We texted him on the side. We're just like, what's the story behind this? And he was just like, well, I was in second grade when the show was on, and it was like, oh, that does make sense. And we're, yeah, I and mean, then we're like, what was your experience like? Yeah, like what did you think was happening at when the, the end when yeah. the thing happens? He was like, oh, I thought my Amazon Prime cut out. <laughs> but it's like, think about which that. which is crazy because how did that spoiler not enter oh, yeah. your life? Right, for right. He avoided it. I, but also, it's not something that probably was relevant on like to know, a second Twitter grader now. Because <laughs> think about it, right? Like, I know a lot of people now. You'll say something like, "You never watched The Wire," and they're like, "I was six, right?" Sure. Yeah. And then they're like, "Then they watch The Wire now," and they're like, "Why didn't they just text the guy?" <laughs> you know? And you're like, "Well, they didn't have text messaging," and they're like, "Why didn't you have text messaging?" And you're like, "Well, because it didn't exist." And right. they don't understand. Like, there's an entire generation of kids and, and whoever who grew up. Just like, hey, here's the internet, here's the iPhone, here's texting, here's social media, here's whatever. So then you show them a show where like there's wiretaps and people, you imagine, hey, we're selling drugs on the corner. No, just get the Snapchat guy, you know, however they do it. Like, <laughs> just send the guy the DM and he's going to bring it to your house. Right. And you're like, no, no, they had the wiretaps and McNulty was mad. Like, what are you talking about? And Omar, like, why, what are you doing? Why are you so violent? You should be nice to each other. They should work together. Um. Can we name a few people and you say like something nice about them or something um, terrible? True, yeah, about them. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. I can tell you, Idris Elba used to shop at the record store I worked. Is at. that right? And just to tie back, he's to a the DJ. Wire, yeah. And this is way back when, right? And he would come in and he never spoke. He would just come and take his records and pay for and leave. Except one time, he's like, "Could you play this?" And I was like, "Yo, you're British." <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah, I'm British." And I was like. 
why? <laughs> and we, it was a record store in Brooklyn, so we were all definitely smoking weed. We're like, yeah. wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Stringer Bell is British? She's like, my name is not Stringer Bell. And we're like, dude, your name is Stringer yeah. Bell. And you're British. This is crazy. <laughs> Here's your record, man. It was a reggae record, I know too. you. That's why you said I know you to everybody. Yeah. yeah. I know you. Yeah. P, I know you. Um, yeah, real suspicious. Nelly Ortiz. I love Nelly Ortiz. Nelly Ortiz is good. Yeah. Well, no, not just like whether oh. or not you like them. Like, what do you like about them? Or well, what's like, a good story? That's a good Nelly story? Oh, there's yeah. so many. My favorite one is the um, the meeting that you guys were in, but I don't know that you're going to tell that story. Uh, I can tell it in parts. <laughs> there was an artist <laughs> who stopped the meeting one time. We were with, it was a bunch of, <laughs> it was a few of us. And there was a marquee artist. And in the middle of the meeting, he stops and he looks at Nelly and he goes, you know who you look like? And I was like, this is, this is no <laughs> way that anybody should guess what this is going to go. And he's like, you look like that comedian. She's really funny. And again, we're all like, I don't know who Nelly looks like. Yeah. What comedian does she look like? like? No, 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 you look like that. And Nelly's like, I don't know what she looks like. <laughs> and then finally she goes, is it? <laughs> and he's like, who? And then she shows him and he's like, yeah, you look like her. And I was like, oh, man, it's a terrible thing to call Nelly. You want me to call it? No one wants that. And she was really mad. Then, of course, we would call. She's like, that's not funny, guys. Oh, my God. It was um, funny for the time. Mary H.K. Choi. Uh, Mary H.K. Choi. By the way, I'm sorry. Three-time New York Times bestselling three author. Three-times New York Times bestselling author. Mary and H. pronounces Choi. vodka vodka. <laughs> and that's my favorite thing about Mary. Mary, Mary, and I sat next to each other when we worked the Giant. And she'd be like, oh, man, I really need a drink. Just get, just get like a vodka martini. And I'd be like, what are you saying? And she's like, vodka. You say it vodka. That's how it's pronounced. I'm like, no, it's vodka. V-O-D-K-A K-A. is vodka. Yeah. And she's like, no, Chandra, it's vodka. And I was like, all right, Mary would like a vodka, everybody. Um, Lenny S. Uh, what's a good Lenny story? What was your first time sitting on the couch like? We walked by, and I was like, what is this? And he's like, it's, first of all, the room was gold. The yeah. actual walls were gold. And we were like, this looks nuts. And he was like, no, no, this is cool. The No, the first time I was sitting on the couch, I was like, where's this couch from? It's like, love and hip hop? And he was like, don't do that. And I was like, I don't know. Is it gold? Where do you get a gold? Did you Google it? And he's like, shut up, man. <laughs> Lenny, like, the cool thing about Lenny, I think, is always, like, you know, his ability to, like, go from being a documentarian, right? So he sat on, he sat, he sat on so much cool, iconic stuff. But then also, like, He's been the fly on the wall. So like he's kind of been able to do he's been able to be quiet and observe and just take the blissful moments and capture some of the chaos and also be like no 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 the splits aren't in like this is the mix. You know like that that's a really cool like skill. I think a lot of people benefit from listening more than just talking, you yeah. know? And like the guys that kind of sit in the room and just observe and you're like why is that person so quiet? And you're like oh, they're actually the real Yeah. You know the real killer in all of it. Um, I, I I want to talk about something. You know, speaking of your friends, and we haven't touched on this really at all. But that I don't have any friends. You don't have any friends, <laughs> and what's up with that? Some of your closest friends are. When should I knock the mic over and walk away? I think I think <laughs> right now. after Jeff's talk. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, but um, some of your best friends in this industry are Amir Bessie, who is Egyptian. Yeah. Um, Joseph Patel, who is uh, Don't say Indian. Anything crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, but but you're originally from Suriname. Mm-hmm. And that there is no geographic sort of connection there. There is. So brown people, like myself, mm-hmm. um, we got to the West Indies through indentured servitude. So the British were like, hey, 
you owe us money in India. We're going to send you to this other place and y'all, y'all could cut cane and then whatever. And then we'll send you back. And of course we got there and they're like, oh, no, 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 just stay. It's cool. Don't worry about it. You don't have to come back. <laughs> we're also not going to bring you back. And so that's kind of how generationally people from Trinidad, Suriname, Guyana, you know, the British West Indies, the Virgin Islands, um, Jamaica, all of that, you know. But so like when you meet people like Joseph Patel was one of the first second brown person that I met in the business. Um, And I was like, oh, cool. We look like each other. And I don't know anybody else in this space. Who are you? You know, I didn't even knew his I just knew his name because you would see his name on MTV. And I was like, that's so cool. That guy works at MTV. Like, how do you do that? You know, and, and as, because again, like you're growing up and your parents are like, you got to be a doctor, you got to be a lawyer, you got to be an engineer, you got to be one of these things. And you're like, I'm going to work in the music business. And yeah. they're like, as the doctor? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, the music doctor. Um, and then, you know, I had also had another friend of mine in college who was West Indian. His older brother was a publicist. And his older brother was kind of like, he took me under his wing and, and, you know, he'd be like, yo, you can come to parties with us, like fashion parties and stuff. And I was like, what are fashion parties? <laughs> he's like, you know, models and bottles. And I was like, I'm into all of this. Yeah. It sounds great. Yeah. Vodka. Yeah. Vodka. <laughs> all the v- free vodka you can have. And we'd go to these clubs and these parties. And again, I was like 19 at the time. And I was like, it's, you know, we were just like, yo, this is crazy. Like people really, bottle service. You see these things, you hear about these things, you see them in the videos. When you see it in real life, you're like, oh, you really just spent all that money on a bottle? Man. We were like, you know, stealing 40s at Hunter and drinking, like we were stealing <laughs> liquor at the liquor store across from Hunter. Sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> we saw a lot of liquor from that. And well, what happened is we would kind of like just observe it and go, okay, and then he'd introduce you to people. So one time he was like, oh, I want you to meet this guy, Glenn. His name is Glenn O'Brien. I was like, who's that? He's like, oh, he's this guy that discovered this artist named Basquiat. And I was like, you know him? He's like, yeah, I'll introduce you. So I meet Glenn and he's just like this, you know, kind of cool aloof guy and he's like yeah hey, good to meet you he's like oh i like your sneakers i'm like all right man like <laughs> am i the next basquiat you know, like, what do you say to this? what do you say to this guy and then like years later i remember we went to his house he had a house in the um he passed away a couple of years back but he had a house in what was it on off of houston and we go in he's got a massive library massive massive books books everywhere art everywhere it's got the famous Basquiat jacket is on the floor. The Scott jacket is on the floor. And I'm like, Glenn, the jacket's on the floor. And he goes, the jacket is on the floor. <laughs> and I'm like, you just threw it on the floor. Like, this is the one that Basquiat drew the thing on. And he goes, I know. I'm aware. And I was like, but he's like, it's a jacket. That's all it ever will be. And it was such a cool thing. This gets nuttier. So now he's got this crazy massive bookcase and I'm looking up at it and he's got these little hand-drawn things, like little sketches or whatever. I'm like, what are those? He's like, oh, you know, back in the day when I was doing interview and TV party and all that stuff, Jean-Michel used to draw on, I would type and he would draw, I would mess up on the pages or whatever, like, you know, have mistakes and he would draw on it. I would just throw the papers and he would draw and he would sketch. I said, so it's my understanding. (laughs) A little one of one. Basquiat said, you just have arbitrarily on your, on your thing? And he goes, yes, they are. But there was no more to the story, right? There was <laughs> yeah. no like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and this represents that. And I was like, oh, those are actually like for you, for you. And he's like, yeah. I was like, would you ever sell them? And he's like, to who? <laughs> he was very like, he didn't understand the concept. He's like, oh, people, you know, obviously he knows art and whatnot, but he was kind of like, yeah, people made this and they gave it to me. I don't understand why I would sell it. Like he didn't understand the like, 
transactional like oh you flip it and you buy this you do this you do that well, or he did understand it and he was just like it, you know people assign a meeting to exactly. it but that's not exactly. the meeting that's a better way to put it yeah. Yeah. the other cool thing he had a Tom Sachs piece and his kid drew on it and he's like oh yeah Tom Sachs did this and then my son Oscar drew on it and I was in a minute you're like oh you probably through Oscar through a window, right? <laughs> and he's like, no, no, it's cool. It's collaboration by proxy. That's and he just dope, started laughing man. to himself. Yeah. He was like, ah, it's so funny. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, that's such a cool thing. Like the guy's yeah. got his Basquiat thing over here. He's got these other ones. He's got this Tom Sachs piece that his three-year-old, at the time his kid was three, drew on it. That's so dope. it was like, you just end up meeting all these like really interesting characters. Well, here's you know? one more, Sophia Chang. Sophia Chang is somebody that I super duper adore. Um, she was managing RZA. And I want to say Jizza or OD, somebody else in the camp, mm-hmm. maybe Raekwon. I can't remember exactly, but I know she's managing RZA. And so we got cool because, like, eventually RZA was just like, well, when I would hit him for certain things, because we stayed cool after I interviewed him for the Echo thing, I would send him gear. We would just, he would, when I lived in LA, he would just call me, what are you doing? And I was like, nothing, the RZA. I am, you know, <laughs> at Ross yeah. buying groceries. And he's like, oh, you should come to the movies. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, just. Let's go to the movies. And I live in, he lived like way out in LA, like the Valley Valley. And I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. But no. it was cool. <laughs> the invite is what matters. Right. And, but because of that, I became cool with Sophia. And then because of that, I became cool with her, um, I guess it's her ex husband, uh, Shifu Sian Ming, who was their Kung Fu teacher. Yes. The 34th generation Shaolin monk. Yes. So I would go to the dojo with, with Riza and Sophia. And like their kids were now super grown up. And now she's putting out her book. So I see like yes, yeah. all the pictures of her kids super grown up. So cool. And she, he would just be there and training, like doing his Kung Fu stuff. And guy stands, you know, he's got a super great straight posture and just like in tune with all this other like weird stuff. I saw him once open a bottle just by tapping on it. Just crazy <laughs> shit, right? What? Dude, I'll get to that in a second. So... You would just go to this place, and it's a Shaolin temple in New York City. And, you know, when I was having it, I was like, right before I moved to L.A. I was like, when I was like, all right, man, like, I'm going to move to L.A. And he's like, well, that's good. <laughs> I was a Shaolin monk. Yeah. Like, that's good. And I'm like, so, you know, what advice do you have? Again, you think to yourself, RZA, yeah. Wu-Tang Clan, he's going to have some prolific advice. He's like, train harder. <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, train harder. That's my advice. I'm like. Wow. No, I get it. But what specifically should I do? And he's like, you need to train harder <laughs> on everything. And I was like, am I doing good now? And he goes, I don't know. But you should train harder at all times. And That's, that was it. And it's I like sent like, you on a vision quest. Seriously. Yeah. And, and the crazy thing about it is like, he definitely sent me on the vision quest because like you, those are the things that stick with you, right? The things that stick with you are like these really succinct, small, you know, we were working on, I think, Watch the Throne. John Manili was like, Whatever you do, don't fuck this up. And I was like, that's your advice? And he's like, that's the only advice I will ever give you. And he walked away. And I'm sitting there like, I, I don't, you don't know what to do with that information, right? Manili is a monk. He might be a monk. <laughs> um, same thing with Shaka. Shaka would be like, it'll be okay. Things will work out. And you're like, what if they don't? She's like, but they will. <laughs> like there was never like an answer that wasn't just more succinct than a few sentences, than yeah, a few yeah, words. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, but that's the best advice, the kind of advice that you can fit on a keychain. <laughs> yeah. One thing with Sophia was great was because like, you know, she'd had this amazing industry as an Asian American woman in the music business. Like there's very rare. That's a rarity. And then now you see more like, you know, I have a good friend, Grace Kim. She's over in Atlantic. It's Korean American. You know, there's a lot of people now that you see like the more diversity in all of it. But she was one of the people I looked at and I was just like, man, you're so cool. You have the Gucci hat. You have a look. 
you know, you, people know you and like they respect you more so that they know you is that they respect you yeah. and they listen to you and you're working with literally arguably one of the most, no, not even one of the most influential people ever in recorded music, not just rap, just in music. Yeah. Like what they were able to architect with Wu-Tang and like what they've been able to do. And even now this huge resurgence it's crazy. from the documentary to the Hulu show to Riz's books, all of these things, you're able to look at it and go, man, like you really interface and help shepherd a lot of these, you know, different points of their career path. And the same thing with, you know, whether it was Jizza or Dirty or Raekwon, any of them, like her. So I was always just fascinated just how, and how she was just calm. She was always calm, mm. you know? And I remember they invited me to Shifu Xi'an Ming's birthday party one year at the temple. And I went and you know, it was crazy. Cause like, you just like, Oh, I'll go. I'll see Riza. I'll yeah. see Wu-Tang. Yeah. And you go and it's like Dave Chappelle. This is what Dave Chappelle was. Dave Chappelle on the Chappelle show. Like yeah. He's there. And like all these other Bokeem Woodbine is there. All these random like A-list celebrities, whatever. But they're all there for this one Shaolin monk. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to show you a trick. <laughs> okay. She takes a bottle of beer. He's like, this is fermented beer. It's not like, beer that's bought at the store it's like something that he or had. stolen from a store but he's like look i'm gonna break the bottle and he just literally is talking to us and he's like rubbing like the top of the thing and he just keeps talking and he's like okay this this and i'm like what do you see and then he just goes like that and the whole bottom shattered <laughs> and i was like <laughs> and he, i was like whoa it's mind-blowing this is a prank i'm david blaine you know yeah yeah, yeah 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 i got yeah. you <laughs> and i was like well this is crazy like how did you do that and he was just like i trained harder man well Shahendra, um, across the course of your career, you have been around a lot of insane people and insane times, and uh, you you yourself have done some really insane things. And, Thank you. You know, we, we wanted to get you up here. You wanted to be up here too. Yeah, for a long time. Desperate, but we wanted to <laughs> we wanted to get you up here because we wanted to give you your flowers, and uh, I'm glad that we got to give you your where are the flowers? Your orchids. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Phalaenopsis orchids and dendrobium <laughs> orchids. The Phalaenopsis is the one that everybody knows. Really, you want the dendrobium. <laughs> Train harder. Yeah. Train harder. Thanks so much. Thanks everyone for listening to this new episode of a Waste of Time with It's the Real Jeff. If you want to find out more about us, I'm Eric with the curly hair. You're Jeff with the glasses. Together, we are It's the Real. No apostrophe. No spaces. If people want to find out more about this podcast, it's called A Waste of Time with It's the Real. If people want to find out more about what's going on with us, where can they go. You can always go to itsthereal.com, I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L.com. Go sign up for our newsletter at itsthereal.com. Go buy some merch at itsthereal.com. Hey, why don't you send us a letter at itsthereal.com? You can also listen to all of our old episodes and all of our new ones if you go to any streaming platform, such as the one that you are currently listening to our podcast on right now. We're on Twitter at It's The Real, Facebook at It's The Real, and Instagram at It's The Real. So, Jeff, yesterday I said, hey, if you guys want a shout out on this week's podcast, this one today with Shahendra, respond here right now with the most overused slang term that we have to get rid of immediately. None of which we really say. Well, I'm, I'm saying as a culture, as a crowd, as a collective. Wow. Now is the You're time like a real thesaurus to end these words. And so, Timothy the First said, no cap. Javi Grego said vibes easily. Sermon's Domain loves yeet, but Ray of Sunshine said no. Gonza said clout. Don Kuji from Providence said he wants a shout out. I also agree. I hate when people say I want a shout out. 
Hard Rock Life said, no cap is regional slang. I feel so forced when New York dudes say it, which is why we don't say it. The Infinity Gyms. Jimmy Branley said he's been trying to yeet Sherman's domain for years. SMFH. <laughs> Pragmatic said, snatch. The Don Coogee said, probably no cap, LOL. Jay Devon Harris said, let's put on God to bed and can I get that shout out or shrug emoji. Sermon said, I still don't know what that means. Sounds like a weird sex thing. That's yeet. SMH. Yeah. Yeet. 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 Silly Princess said, y'all not ready. Spizzy Spo said, facts. Armand, Armizzle said, vibe. Beatmaker said, Ting's vibe, it's a movement on the low, saying something two times as you're cooking, cooking, or like, oh, you're podcasting, podcasting. Ugh. <laughs> Lamb Money said, if somebody says swag in 2019, they gotta go. Mm. Hydro the MC said, classic, it's not really slang, but we need to stop. Motherfucking Lenny said, say less. I think it's time for that to go. I think that say less is here to stay. That's right. Say less, <laughs> my guy. CN Rondo said, Joe Budden. Ooh. Because Migos and Lil Boat really made that stick wow. like fetch. Wow. Damn. I like saying Joe Budden. Yeah. yeah. Say less. No cap. Swag. Born Jamaican 18 said, no cap. No cap. <laughs> Cash Money Josh said, lit, no doubt. The Infinity Gyms said, fellows, vibes is so clearly the answer. Nobody knows what it means, and there's no consensus on how to use it. Please help me delete vibes at all costs. Now, here's the thing. I am the assistant curator of all vibes. Okay, so I, I think we're at the halfway point. I just want to say I think vibes and no cap are leading the charge right now. Oh. Lil Nav X said that Nav is bad. Disagree. Okay. Miss Coco Oh My said no cap has to go. Shout me out, Miss Coco Oh My. Did it. No cap. A uh, humble B said on fleek. Well, who says on fleek anymore? Yeah, apparently that one person. No. <laughs> no. If there's anything that's been said so far, swag and on fleek are like lost to the ages. Wise1979 said the bag. Anthony DeRosa said fam. I am Doe said lit. I feel like lit is, lit is catching up, yeah. Lit is done though. Like, yeah. Lit is like done done. Like nobody. Lit is done done. Yo, Lit went, Lit went pack and pack, am I right? <laughs> D nice one 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 seven six, which I guess is a zip code. Said in my bag. C P O T G said Liddy. Productive Ray 09 said it's lit. Fly Young Sam said O D. Corey Lovell said cap and no cap needs to go immediately. Young citizen from South Carolina, North Carolina. Said on God. Chris Omar visuals said no cap. Tyler three oh five said no cap. And putting bees in front of words because most of y'all not gang members and that's weird. And perk thirty because there's no such thing. Movie eight eight fifty said I'm real on my seed on my mama on my mama on my hood. Ooh, I look fly. (laughs) I look good. Mm, Yeah. Gerard Hussein said, I don't know if this counts, but using skirt, skirt in actual sentences and not as an ad lib, that shit has got to stop. I have never heard anybody say skirt, skirt in actual sentences. They are insane. Jeez Louise said, no cap. No cap. 365 said, the bag and no cap. Okay, no cap is just running away with it. It's a vibe said, yo, should be in the dictionary. That's not helpful. And and the name is, it's a vibe. Ban him. (laughs) 
Slay Mister said for real, for real. No, not here. Yeah, no. You're bad. Everybody's bad. Do it well said it's lit. Comfy Cozy said drip. That's uh, the first mention of drip. I could do with less drip. Yeah? I, you know, I just have so much drip. Stop that. <laughs> Jimmy Butcher said dope. Let me be clear, the people who brought it back are overusing it and wrongly using it. Damn it. How do you want dope, dope a lot? Yeah, how do you want dope to be used? Coda the MC said Mac and Cheese 3. Joking, I don't feel like you guys overuse any phrases. Damn. Damn. Also, it's Mac and Cheese 4. Yeah. <laughs> um, LTZ said, we have to give it a no cap. Robbie Digital said for the culture. Rebel Rome said no cap. Fake news, absolutely hate that phrase, says Guadameha. That's the first political yeah. uh, mention. By the way, down with that. Yeah. Smash Lame said no cap. M Sween 10 said, miss me with that fill in the blank. Rhonda, no one was even aiming that fill in the blank at you. I don't know what that means. Wait. Don't know, don't care. Okay. Billy Bruckner VX said fleek. I cannot believe you are still saying That's fleek. two fleeks? Two fleeks. On fleek, fleek. One more, and then he shows up. Top right. Bananas 48 said Savage. People choose. Jay Walk on the track said Bet. Granddaddy Woo said Period Poo. On God, no cap. I've never heard of Period Poo. Period Poo. Period Poo. On God, no cap. It's a vibe. But I did get a shout out include Not For Real For Real, so I know it's real. Not For Real For Real. Also, nobody said Hands Down, Bro. Everybody is everybody, bro. That's like when... Star was making fun of Big Tigger mm-hmm. and said, not everybody's your cousin. <laughs> so great. Uh, Hal9000W said, it's lit. Lance Armstrong's missing testicle. James Humble said, bet. Schmendrick Lamar Puto820 said, anything can refer to as a movie or a zoovie. Damn, yeah, that's aimed right at you. I do say movie and zoovie all the time. Yes. Yeah. You know, when things are Ad movies. Astro was a good zoovie. Yeah. Um... Sunday HH Times said lit, even though sometimes it be lit. Sane Boy A said trip. That's it. All right. Well, Jeff, I resolve to say all those words more <laughs> for all of you. Bring it back. As always, guys, on my, mama, on my hood, Woo. I look hot. <laughs> I look good. <laughs> Not for real, for real. Sure, sure. We'll see you guys next week. No cap. <laughs>